Warning, explicit content, listener discretion is advised. Hi everybody, welcome back to the Muse Podcast. Briggs and I are hitting the ground running here with this season. Local legend Leo Ganley came in and talked to us in the barn. Leo has been part, ever since the 80s, of the Seacoast music scene. Uh, his first band, Father Nature, made it on the national stage. Uh, he's been part of the Olives, Chaining Texas, and of course around here we know Weed Incorporated, which became Lemon Fresh Kids. He can tell you that story. Leo is a songwriting machine. He brought in four songs, and uh, he actually played another one at the end, sort of out of the blue, about his dog. So pretty sure you'll dig that. As always, thank you to everyone for all of the support worldwide for this little podcast. We really appreciate it. If you want to get in touch with us, themusepodcast.com. Hit the contact link, and that information will go directly to us. You can always get in touch with us on social media as well. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. It's The Muse Podcast. Thank you very much. Big season coming up. We're on track to do 26 episodes, so if you have an idea of someone who'd like to be on, someone you think might be good to put on The Muse Podcast, like I said, head over to themusepodcast.com, hit the contact button, and give us your ideas. All right, here we go, people. Leo Ganley. Me and you, you and me, there ain't nothing that I rather be. Well, there, there ain't nothing in between Don't you worry, don't worry, baby The sun's been gone for so very long I'm so happy to be here at home I've been gone such a long time But now there's nothing I can hide behind Me and you You and me There ain't nothing that I'd rather be Me and you You Remember when you couldn't sleep It's because you were awake in my dreams We talk like lovers and we laugh like friends I am more woke than I've ever been Right here where your heart is beating And loving you was the best that I could do But I'm happy for you No matter what you do, yeah Me 
Wow, man, what a beautiful song. Yeah. Ooh, thank you. Man, Auntie's up with the love song right, right. off the top. <laughs> Tease it up, knocks it out. Thank that you. was the first take. Thank you. Right out of the place. Uh, so how did that song come about? Why did you write that? How long has it been kicking around? Um, well, my daughter was in uh, Europe uh, last fall, and um, I just was missing her kind of bad. Sure. And I was just th thinking that... Um, you know, that I kind of still felt like I was palling around with her, even though she was a million miles away. Right, yeah. Yeah, so. It comes right through in the song. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. But, but so, so, how, so these are, this, so you, before we were talking, when you came in, you said you brought some new songs. Some of these are kind of work in progress. That didn't sound like a goddamn work in progress. <laughs> but <laughs> some of them go like, yeah. Like that. Really? How long ago, how, did you just write this like a couple of days ago or no this is this is probably two months okay it's probably two months worth uh i had the me and you you and me that was right before christmas and i kind of tucked that away right i have you know a, a diddy farm like most people in my situation sure. do and um diddy farm huh <laughs> what is what do we I, call I get what you mean, right? I just haven't heard that particular <laughs> term for it. Um, some people call them a, a future hits file or something. Fair like enough. That. I, like, oh, I like Diddy Farm. Diddy Farm. Yeah, nice it's a great name. Yeah. <laughs> we may steal that. Diddy so, Farm. So I make at least like five of those a day. You know, so I've yeah. just kind of. I think you know any creative person in my situation kind of does that. They how do you take keep the those, How do you keep those? How do they? How do they? Do you organize them or do you? Just, I do. I name everything. Everything on my phone, like. It, that one, for example, I named it You and Me right away. Right. And then um, just, you know, every day I see it there and hit play and kind of dream about it some more. And then I can even add more to it. But I don't write on my guitar anymore. It's all um, wow. it's all in my head. Yeah, let's talk about that for a sec. First off, it doesn't sound like you just started writing yesterday. Can you remember <laughs> the first time you wrote a song? I can. I'm sorry if I'm dating you, but too late. No, it's just like yesterday. I was uh, 17, and I was playing trumpet in um, in high school band, and I was first trumpet, had a lot of heavy lifting to do, uh, but I had uh, braces after, oh, and I had no. six years of the braces, so. Oh, trumpet and braces. Yikes. Well, I was oh. able to get in, get into it and make it happen, but when, back then, braces were the bands all the way around your teeth, right. yeah. and when they pulled those off, my embouchure collapsed. And it was right before, you know, this, all the spring concerts. I was second chair in, right. in all state. So I had, you know, high ease and shit I had to deal with. Yeah. Second chair all state. Uh, I don't, do they still have all state? Is that still a thing? I don't, I don't know. know. <laughs> no, I don't know. I, I'm guessing it's not the same. I mean, uh, Leo and I have been around for a little while. So <laughs> the, at the time you're talking about, this is actually a super big deal. This big is deal, like. Yeah. Allstate is like it's a it's a limited number of people and it's there's a lot of people everybody played in band at that point and everybody you know a lot of people played in band you know even people who are playing sports they're gonna play band like band was kind of a big deal in high school this yeah. is pre-internet this is before you know people go out and have fun rather than stay home and have fun <laughs> yeah. that's a that's kind of a big deal so yeah so how did you deal with that well I uh, I did what any you know 17 year old would do I I, I quit and I regretted it. <laughs> I didn't see that. Regret it forever. I, I, I thought that's what he was going to say. I got it. And uh, so I went home, and my brother was in was in a garage rock band. He had a Yamaha acoustic, and so I wasn't really supposed to touch that. But I went home, and I taught myself. Um, 
Bigger brother? Yeah, a bigger yeah. brother. I taught myself chords in my own way because I didn't know how they were sure. supposed to be, but I knew what made a chord. Oh, but this was getting away with something too. It's kind of on the sly, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. It, so I sat down that afternoon, taught myself some chords, repeated them until I learned them, and then I wrote a song. I was like, oh my God, I wrote like a chorus and a hook and a verse. I'm like, I think I could probably do that. How did you even know like how to write a chorus and a hook? Or you must have been listening to music a lot. Yeah, I was a big time, big time music head. It was definitely what made my my blood move. And I was um, I was a, a, a heavy duty deadhead. By that point, I'd seen like 150 yeah. uh, dead shows, and I would hitchhike. Wait. I would hitchhike. Wait, and by what age? By the time I was 16 or 17, I was well over 100 dead wow. shows. <laughs> okay, that let's just have a moment. <laughs> <laughs> That's astonishing. Yeah. Well, I'd, you know, how do you know how that works? How did you go to school and still... Did you go to school? Did you not go to school? Well, they were... I'm oh, sorry. I don't mean to dig. No. Um, I... Well, when I graduated, um, when I walked for my graduation, I didn't really get my diploma. I got like a notice in it and I had like 65 detentions and indoor oh, no. suspension for like two weeks or to get my diploma. I said, fuck that. And I yeah. never went back. <laughs> I'm not even so thinking skipped, about that. Skip so much school. I mean, that's, right? so you would just blow off school and go see the dead. Yeah. Oh fuck yeah! Don't yeah. <laughs> that's fuck yes. It's a short life, man. You do what you need to do. Right. Right. I've Everybody? always always done that. I've always followed my nose. Wow. When was your first dead show? How old were you? I remember that. Like yesterday, I was a ten. It was 1977. How did that happen? Wow. Do you mind? Yeah. Um, I was the youngest of six, and my four brothers were were hippies and were into the dead. And they were going up to see uh, Jerry Garcia Band and Bobby and uh, the Midnights up in the Portland, Cumberland County Civic Center. Oh, yeah, sure. And they were all loading into our neighbor's uh, Volkswagen bus, and um, they had an extra ticket. And my oldest brother that was very, um, he was really the leader of our crew, he said, he said, Mother, Leo's coming with us. And she's like, oh, I don't think it's a good idea. And they, they threw me in uh, the van. And <laughs> that was reason enough. <laughs> yeah, she was up on the porch, and she's like, I don't think it's a very good idea. And the door closed, and up we went. I remember the whole show, all the songs, Merle Saunders on, on organ, yeah, yeah. and I was blown the hell out of that room. I still listen to that era. I'm not a huge deadhead. I only came into it uh, more recently, just sort of like beyond just, you know, what everybody knows about the dead and all that. And yeah, Merle Saunders is a reason for me. Yeah. So we were talking, man, this is just, it brings a smile because you hit all my buttons all at one time. (laughs) Uh, The cherry on top is the VW bus. I know. En route to the show. It's so classic. And and the picture of mom going, I don't think it's all. It's exactly, it's exactly what happened. I I guess we're going. Yeah. Wow. So. We were talking. We talk about this a lot lately. There's, there's, um, in the seventies, big bands weren't playing in front of two million people. They weren't playing Gillette Stadium, you know, or Sullivan Stadium at the time. They were playing small places, and the Cumberland County Civic Center was like thirty five hundred people or something, maybe six grand filled, right? Mm. Right. It's like a, it's like a hockey arena, right? Yeah, but it's yeah, not a, a big hockey one. rink. Right. It's like Shallow. a little. It's smaller than the one at UNH, right? And, man, we used to see everybody would come through there. Magical stuff there, because the police, really, you could do whatever you wanted in the parking lot. (laughs) You know, there's no... Yeah, I mean, I did not see the dead at Cumberland County, but that must have been great. Because, again, it's a smaller audience than people think. 
at the time because the rock wasn't that big in the 70s. It was huge for us. But it was very intimate. Yeah. Uh, that show, I got all the way up to the front, and uh, the next morning I woke up with a big welt across my chest because I was, of course, hanging up on the wood yeah. barricade and the very front just hypnotized by oh, Jerry goodness. Garcia. Wow. But then I went to college. My, in within the first week, uh, my roommate gave me a "Murmur" by REM, and that was it. I never went to another Dead show. Really, you kind of huh. just banged right off of it. Boom! Like a like a door fell. I never went. My friends all kept going. We're going to this. We're going to that. I'm like, nah. I never went after my senior year in high school. Do you know why that was? Um, yeah, I was really disillusioned with uh, the people that were showing up at Dead Shows in like 85 and 86. So it was like the crowd. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the music was magical. They were really, um, you know, Jerry was into speedballs and all sorts of really horrible drugs. So yeah. he'd have incredible nights and then horrible nights. Right. right. Um, and that was really turning me off. Uh, and the people there were just like, what are you people doing? That was, it became really hip. And like they had, uh, I will get by and all that stuff. And yeah. then lots of people came just for the hardcore partying. And that really kind of right. grossed me out. So, Yeah, I remember I did see the dead around that time. Uh, but I remember, yeah, I remember that being kind of like uh, uh, there were a lot of people like me that went to see them for the first time. And it were really kind of two audiences, like people who understood what was going on. Yeah. And then people like, you know, little old me and my friends and stuff <laughs> who just like go and kind of, oh, I know that song. And. Yeah, I can see how it must have been a weird time to be a like a hardcore fan. Yeah, and then once I got into REM, there was no, as a creative person, as someone that was, you know, starting to assemble songs, uh, I was really, you know, taken by that. So you so you get in so you started into college. Did you have a band before college? Well, m my senior year, I formed a band uh, in high school that summer as I started kind of uh, playing and teaching myself how to play. And some of my buddies and I got together and we formed a band. What was the name of the band? Um, Father Nature. Father Nature. Interesting. Yeah. That band still plays. Uh, we do uh, stuff. We sh we show up <laughs> and do stuff. Yeah. I, I actually uh, I, I met you a zillion years ago and I've known you kind of on and off, but I kind of re met you because I, I was I've been out of town and then I came back a couple years ago and I re met you when you were playing with Father Nature. Yeah. You played a really oh man. I hope I'm not stepping in here. I'm pretty sure you played a really cool show at the Blue Mermaid in Portsmouth, sure, right? Sure. I don't remember who played drums with you. Just playing like a kick and a snare. Oh, that was Ch Rob Neeland. Light, just touching it. Wow. A, what a cool show that was. He's a real artist, Rob Neeland. Yeah, I'm not. I mean, I'm, I'm not calling. I'm not calling it Rob. I'm saying he was one of the reasons why the show was great. I right. mean, the, what I meant was okay. it was a fantastic show. I remember that show in particular, though, because it's hard to play drums in these little places. Oh. Blue Mermaid's like a thirty seater, oh and it, totally no trouble at all. Yep. Like just breeze through it. It was the right level. I could hear you. I could hear everything you guys were doing. Yeah, that's a that was a cool night. That was a cool band uh, night. That was a couple of years ago, though. I think right. Sound right? Yeah, probably two years ago. Yeah. Did it actually kind of stay together the whole time, or no? Um, really, we've we've just now been kind of uh, reforming and and working on some stuff. And I'm doing um, two short records called Father Nature Five Packs, and that's what I'm recording right now. I just did my first one, and I'm sort of mixing it and mastering it now. And what I'm doing. Mean? What do you mean five packs? Well, a Father Nature Five Pack is just. A, 
a cute way to say an EP of uh, five songs. Oh, okay. So, but you're making a bunch of them. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm gonna make a crap load of them because with that band, we probably had you know three or three hundred plus songs, anyways. Wow, that's We're- a lot of five packs. <laughs> just a cherry picking of course right it's actually 60 but um okay all right yeah you just keep running through these awesome like i feel like i'm running through these uh you know uh snowbanks of information <laughs> how does 300 songs come together i mean talk about are you co- co- is this all you is it a collaboration are you pulling yeah. it in from everybody well i'm somebody that no matter who i'm kind of with or what i'm doing i'm going to make a song and I can really make a song on anything. So I'm just always making music and I easily make a song or two or sometimes five or 10 a day. And I'm not kidding. No, I believe you. So it's, so they just kind of stack up. So it's sort of a feather in my cap to say, I've got all of these songs, but they're not all that good. (laughs) (laughs) I know, but it, it kills me to hear the second part of that. You just have all these songs. That's great, man. So, Wow. Okay. So how do you even, okay. So did father nature like deal with a number of those songs? Well, how does um, that work? Well, what we started doing was, uh, in call. Well, my first year in college, it turned out it was a good thing that I didn't keep playing the trumpet because, um, I had something, I, I had uh, musical, I had social capital with my guitar and I was able to play at parties and sure. people started to know who I was. And then by the time I was a sophomore, I was, you know, selling out the living room in downtown Providence, 700 people, and there were big shows, and we were a big fish in a, a small pond down right there. As, as Father Nature? Yeah. Okay, so yeah. first off, what college are we talking about? Providence College. Providence College. Yeah. Is that uh, in Providence? Yeah. We were uh, talking about Providence, Rhode Island. Yeah. People, yeah. Uh, that's when Max Creek was big. And, yeah, uh, sure. That, that kind of stuff. So we sort of became uh, big fishes in a small pond, yeah. and then... Uh, I got out of college and started with a, a tax law group uh, in Boston. But at that time, I'm selling out clubs in Boston yeah. on Friday and Saturday nights. Wow. And um, that was not an easy gig to do at that time. In other words, selling, selling that many tickets yeah. was not easy. I mean, it was one thing if you had like a bunch of your college friends showing up. But that's legit. We were really lucky. Yeah, we were I just... Really, uh, really lucky. Yeah, I mean... And the perception outside of Boston of Boston is pretty correct. It was a diff- still is a difficult scene to be good in. In other words, there's a lot of decent players, right? But you have to have every single part of it happening in Boston. The fans are just pretty straightforward about what they like and what they don't. And if it's great, they're the best fans in the world. And they're, they will come good, back. That's it. They're the they just are all over the thing, but it's a serious thing. And at that time, it was way heavier. There were clubs everywhere, Big a lot of places right. to play. What were some of your favorite places to play? Do you remember? Oh yeah, um, I I would say uh, night stage. I always felt like oh, a man. like a, a real pro uh, yes. on night stage. They had a real stand. piano too. Oh, they sure did. Yeah, <laughs> I opened up for Tori Amos there, and she hit the shit out of that piano who, that night. Who, 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 when you say I, are you talking about Father Nature? This whole Father thing? Nature. I'm yeah, sorry. no, I mean I'm with you. No, I just want to uh, identify. It's not other band. Right. It's, it's basically right. the Father Nature thing, yeah. which I realize is your band. Yeah, Tori Amos, night stage. You guys opened up. Yeah, she smashed that thing. It was unbelievable. Nice stage was a great. I forgot about that club. Yep. That was a great club. And then, of course, Middle East and uh, yeah. and TT the Bears. Sure. Yeah. And um, you know, I, 
I think uh, Cambridge was really a more fun side of uh, the river yeah. Yeah. than Boston was. Yeah. But we had lots of magical stuff um, in Boston, too. Uh, the Rat. Come on. The you best know. place. Yeah. Well, the worst place and the best place all at the same time. Yeah. Depends on who's playing. Depends on who yeah. shows up. Not consistent. That's but, true. But, but you can't help but love every part of it. We had some local heavyweights on our mailing list that would show up. Um, Peter Wolf, uh, and he'd fucking come. He'd show up, so he, you know he would he's take still the sure. time yeah. and show up. That and when he's in the middle of an audience, yeah. he doesn't look like anybody else. No, no, no. He's um, still it, showing up. He showed up at record he store was on record day, store and, day and, with, at Dino with, Records with Duke Levine, and, and I yeah. who was playing the yeah, bass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't remember who played the bass, but yeah, it was Peter Wolf and Duke Levine. It was crazy. It was great. Fucking killing it. I'd see him right on the mailing list, and I'd think, I can't even believe this. And you know, one time it was at the TAM over near Boston College. I went up and Beautiful. I said, "I said, Mr. Wolf, you know." He's like, "Don't call me, Mr. Wolf." I'm like, <laughs> "I'm like, listen, I'm sorry, but thank you so much." He's like, "Shut up, man! I only come because I love it." Right. He's like, "You know, you're brilliant," and he made me feel really, really special. So that was, I was just really lucky to have That's all great. that stuff. He's incredible. a Boston legend, but he's yeah. also everybody that meets him says the same thing. Just yeah, good guy. Yep. Totally into the fucking music all the time, <laughs> all day. No life of the body, all life of the mind. <laughs> like just going on the music all the time, every night out. Go do it. We're just so blessed, so dedicated. Wow, some of the other places that you must have played in Boston, man. You probably played Jumbos what? and Channel. Yep. And- um, I think the best. I had really felt like I had really made it when I was playing Paradise because I had seen some really famous acts sure. there. And it was fun just being on there and being able to party in uh, the green room. And we had a bus out back, and um, we did gigs with like a Sunvolt and and uh, some really special people. We gigged a, f- a few times with the Guster, and yeah. you know, got to know them. And um, just everybody always treated. Us. I don't remember people being mean to us or anything. It was always open arms, and we slept in a lot of funny places. <laughs> Why don't you tell a story about one of them? <laughs> Actually, why don't you tell a story about one of them? I, I, you brought a bunch of songs. Would you be willing to play another song here? Oh, sure, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'll talk while you're getting set up for it. But uh, uh, just so people know, I'm kind of playing with the mix while we're talking. So Leo can hear what he wants to hear. Hold on a sec. Let me get your, get your rock going back there. You say one, two on the mic, please. One, two on the mic with... Autumn Rose. This song is called Autumn Rose. I can see you're tired And your eyes are burning But you always do your best I know how hard you work And that's all that matters Now it's time to close and rest Don't fear the falling sky My autumn rose You will not die Don't fear the falling sky My autumn rose You will not die You won't be deterred And just keep on fighting Nothing that you've done's in vain And when you 
come home We'll be right here waiting Then there will be no more pain Don't fear the falling sky, my autumn rose You will not die Don't fear the falling sky, my autumn rose will not die Don't fear the falling Don't fear the falling sky Cause if you're falling maybe You might learn to fly If not I'll catch you love I will catch you love Don't fear the falling sky oh, oh, yeah Don't fear the falling sky Oh, yeah Don't fear the falling sky Don't fear the falling sky Don't fear the falling sky, fear the falling sky. My autumn rose You will, my Thank you. Damn, I'm going to be singing that at 3 a.m. Right. <laughs> we try to fall asleep going, what is it when you're, don't, 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 uh, don't fear the falling sky because you, you might end up flying, right? I mean, mm. and if not, I'll catch you. What a great fucking line, man. <laughs> that just Thank you. stuck, yeah. man. Right? <laughs> right Thank in you. There. Appreciate that. I, I do want to hear about the uh, creepy places that you slept, but, but hang on. <laughs> so where did that one come from? Or like how long ago was that? Is that a bunch of little ditty bops there? Uh, yeah, that one I've been doing. <laughs> well, I've been trying to do super writing where I'm taking, um, you know, lots of my hooks and taking all of the choruses and making one song out of them. Oh, cool. And um, one more time. Oh, I'm sorry. So taking, taking hooks. Digging deep into the ditty farm and kind of right. slamming some things together. But you're saying right? by, by putting a number of hooks together getting a chorus out of that no i'm saying um if i've got a song and it's got a great chorus mm -hmm. that i'm looking at and saying that ought to do for a verse for something. oh i see so so what you would call generally a chorus you're saying i'm gonna go verse and then something else will be the chorus so mm -hmm. you're basically saying stringing what you originally considered choruses together yes oh, well so okay so my dumbass reaction, which is like, what a fucking set of hooks, is right on the money. There. Right. Yeah, I don't. I, I'm not calling me. I'm calling you. Those are great hooks. Thank you. Wow, you call that super writing? Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. Okay, I see what you mean. Like, like taking a, 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 a an above look at all of these things and jamming them together. How does that go? Do you go like words and then music? Well, well, no, I I don't separate of the two. So there's no 
words or music or you know music or words it's right. it's it's just one one thing that's got to be t- together it's not a hook f- for me okay so like uh so you're seeing so you're hearing it from the singer's point of view first or from so the chords kind of come in later no i'm hearing it from the listener's point of view ah wow yeah you're 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 just uh, i'm sorry i don't mean to to openly uh just compliment you while you're sitting right here, but you are just <laughs> dripping off experience here. It's, I mean, if you're seeing it from the listener's point of view, yeah, man, because you're hearing all the pieces come together right there. Yes. Yeah. That's why I always said, that's why I said I'm writing in my head now instead of on my guitar. Yeah. Right. Wow, man. So, right. So just talk about, I mean, you actually have a work ethic, but it doesn't sound like you're working. It sounds like it's just what you do. Yeah, I um I was hanging with uh Pat Denizio from uh, from uh um oh, I love those I know boys. This one. And uh Not fastball, not Urgil Wickel. <laughs> I can't believe I can't say it. Anyways, okay, it, um keep going. Anyways, and Pat was you know, he was like, "Yeah, you know, you're really good, but but you like to party." And I said, "That's True, I do like to party. <laughs> and he said, but uh, hit making is, has nothing to do with the partying. Right. It's really all about the work and sure. putting, uh, putting the work in. And um, smithereens. smithereens. I can't believe I couldn't yeah. say that. Well, it's a funny word. Smithereens is like, <laughs> it, it fits when you say it with the band, but outside it's kind of a funny word. Yeah. Killer band name. So, so you just happen to be hanging with a dude, and he was, and he just dropped some like nuggets of shit on you there. Yeah, he really put his finger uh, in my face, and he's like, you know, you think you're really you're really special, but just because you party and think up great hooks, that doesn't make you special at all. And I was really, really humbled. And uh, he said, until you do the work, um, you're not you're not really making any hits or doing anything. Yeah. So really, uh, so you just kind of put the nose down and said, "Let's do this." From there, or well, it came to the point where uh, because I make a lot of stuff, uh, a, a lot of it might not make sense to anybody else besides me. And then I made the decision to, well, if I'm gonna have a verse, maybe it should ask a question that's answered by the chorus or right, something. Sure. So it kind of glues itself uh, together. Hmm. So I've been trying to be more conscious. How do you know the song's done? Um, I don't, unfortunately, I'm a, I got a problem with that. So, so, you know, I, well, that last one was done and the one before that, that was also done. Right. Just so you know, <laughs> <laughs> well, I've never been, um, I've just, uh, I'm just someone that's doing my life's work. Like I've never really stopped to make sure that anybody else can listen sure. to it. This is, this is, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm just real. I'm digging all this whole yeah, thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Totally. <laughs> it's not going to be out. I'm having a great time too. Oh, I'm glad you are. I really am glad you are. The materials there, everything yeah, you great. say is just—it's inspirational. It comes from some sort of uh, a sense of, of of having been there and learned the lessons, and you're taking the time to pass that lesson along. Yeah. That's just fucking crazy. Really, yeah. really. Okay, so you slept in some creepy places, huh? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Come on, think of one. It okay. was the eighties or nineties. Okay. <laughs> well, um there was one night through the seventies thing. It's all good. There was uh there was one night we played at Avenue C uh in Boston. Right. And it was really rocking because they could really uh, pack him in there. Mm-hmm. And I think we opened f- 
Oh, Jesus. It could have been like the flies or, or, yeah. or something. It was really rocking, very hardcore yeah. night. Yeah. And, um, you know, we got asked to go back to this place and party, and that was pretty uh, typical. Yeah, of course. And uh, But it was uh, kind of a super high-end place, and right. the guy was really, really rich and really, uh, really creepy. And, um, and I woke up uh, that night to him trying to put like his hands on me and then I got out of there. So that's probably a good call. Yeah. At least it was just <laughs> so that was hands. the worst, yeah, was the worst experience. Yeah. So, so, uh, I, but I was never one to get really wasted and screwed yeah, up. So, I, I mean, no one could have ever taken advantage of me, but the problem is, is every place I would go, somebody would have the best drink or the best uh, smoke or something. Yeah, of course, man. Yeah. It's funny. Cause you must, uh, it, it, you're doing a lot of shows. First off, you, you must have had a booking agent, right? No, uh, I did all my own, wow. uh, my own booking, which was really the key. Wow. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just doing the math from, right. Well, I was a, uh, I didn't have a band at that time. I wasn't what, I'm not like a band leader type, but I was in a number of bands in that time. And that was always the problem was you get a little string of shit and then there's nothing and there's no way to get some sort of momentum. We, um. You know, if you think about the gigs in New York, like if you wanted to book at CBGB's or something, they booked that on Tuesday from 1 to 2, and that was it. So you were on redial and, uh, you know, trying really hard to get in there. And then I had the idea of putting my uh, my band's name on um, cigarette lighters. That's a good idea. And the one time I got through was to Kenny's Castaway. And, uh, and I said, hi, this is Leo from uh, Father Nature. And he said, oh. And I was really scared and really nervous. I had actually got through to this guy. I was d- desperate to get a neat show. And he said, wait a minute. I just lit my cigarette with you. <laughs> nice and then he said, what do you want? And I said, well, I'm passing through there on a Friday. And he goes, you've got it. And then I was in. Yeah, I'm sure this, I don't want to call this guy out. Probably a nice guy. That whole thing from the perspective of 2018, so fucking backwards. Yeah. The beauty and the art and and. The thing that the people want and need is you guys, not the goddamn booking guy. And the booking guys get so hard not to get into power trips, man. This, this is why totally I'm saying that, that it wound up going really good because I, I got to form personal relationships yeah. with all of these right. clubs. Yeah. And then it was, it was personal numbers uh, and stuff. And I remember a lot of my kind of peers around New Hampshire and stuff would, would would be like, how do you get those gigs? Yeah, you got to say you work really, really hard. Yeah, I've spent, <laughs> spent a lot of time. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Building those no, you can't have this number. And there is, no, that number doesn't exist. Yeah. Well, the first time we played at uh, CBGB's, we had uh, pre-rolls. We had 10 pre-rolls and we gave two to each of the five staff members. And we had typed, we put the rolling papers into our typewriter. We typed Father Nature on the rolling paper. <laughs> And, um, but we'd roll them on a little machine. And so we'd always show up with pre-rolls. So we'd spend some of our money on weed to give to the actual people that run the place. And, uh, next time you come back, (laughs) yeah, people don't forget that. So that we were really careful about when we met people to make sure they've been us. Yeah. I mean, so there's this thing, there's this like civilian, non-civilian kind of thing. Like if you play enough shows in a row and you're, you know, whether you're touring or not, you kind of get this different, you're walking through the world like a different person, like you're an artist or you're a singer or you're a musician. Some people get weird about it. 
They're like, I'm a rock star. You know, I'm the thing and you're nothing. Yeah. I don't mean that. But I mean, you can't help it. Obviously, you're a very humble person. It's obvious, you know, and you know what I'm talking about here? There's this feeling like it's working and you have to have a certain confidence to get up on that stage and do the thing night after night. But if you do it enough, that's not what it's about, right? It's more like you're not going gig to gig to gig like, ah, you know, it's just kind of what you do. Am I crazier well um a lot of people in my uh spot are kind of um they don't really have much of a choice to do it they're just kind of doing what they think they should be doing and i think that's just my situation when i got out of college i had a great uh, you know i got a great job with a tax law team and i was on my way building my career and i had a guy saying yeah you know quit that job i'll manage your band and you can do all of this great stuff. And I did, and then I was like homeless in like three years. So Did huh. did the manager do the best, or was it a bad no, decision? No, he took all of our money. Do you mind? I, let's not call people out. But obviously there's good, bad, there's darks. So it's good to hear all this shit. Yeah. How right. far did you get before you knew? Um, it was probably uh, two years into it um, when I started figuring out what was going on, and it was kind of a... A kind of a nightmare because I sort of um, just think that people don't do that. Yeah, well, there's no reason to start. If you look at everybody like you don't trust them and they're probably going to screw you, then you're going to attract people that <laughs> not trust that are going to try to screw yeah, you. I just can't. They're going to you're going to be the person that they think the same thing of. You got to be that. Positive. It's so hard because that's where the music comes from, right? Like you can't be like, oh, well, I'm not sure if I want to play you this song because maybe you suck. You know, you don't yeah, do that. Whatever, right. yeah. Yeah, you just do it. So, but then it flips over into to business. Uh, that sucks, man. I'm sorry to hear it. Yeah. What was your, um, obviously you're selling recordings or you had recordings. How did that go about? How come about? Well, um, <clears throat> we were holding off on making our first record. And then we met this lady, uh, Tony, um, this really nice lady sauce at Ralph's in Worcester. And um, we were playing this. This is still pretty early on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, she int introduced us to uh, her boss, who was a VP of RCA. And that's when they had first started Jive. And But they wanted to do five contracts for five rock bands. And she felt like we were we were good for that. So we were holding off to do our first record with uh, Jive. And then when we were getting ready to sign uh, a deal with them, it was going to be a two record uh, deal with uh, two videos in each record and no tour support. Yeah. At the time videos, having videos as part of the contract was a really, really big deal. And it yeah. was also a sign that the company was into you. Yeah. They were into us. It, it was looking like a, a good situation, but we were working with, um, oh, this guy was like, you know, what the, that we'd have to go to record in LA. And that was where my drummer got hooked on heroin. So yeah. he said, well, if, you know, we go back to LA and give me a per diem and too much time that, we're, you know, we're going to have to bury him there because he'd kill himself yeah. on heroin and stuff. And I had uh, gotten so fed up uh, at that point, I, uh, I kind of quit and, uh, that might not have been the worst decision you ever right. made. Yeah, so I turned my back on all that and uh, actually uh, hitchhiked home. And uh, my father uh, accepted me back in, um, and I kind of got back on my feet. Yeah. 
Yeah. That, so, I'm sure not that a lot of glory there. No, no, right? I understand. I'm sure there's a lot more to that story, which which is none of our business. Maybe someday you'll write a book or something and, yeah, and, right. and talk about what's really going on back there. Yeah, the, that scene was fucked up, right? Because at the time, I don't know if it's really the same way now. It's a little more malleable now, but at the time, you couldn't just be really, I mean, you could be a solo artist or you could be like some, you know, young woman who has great looks and great voice kind of thing. And they kind of make a band around you. But there was a certain honor to having like a band band, mm. like to having people that work together to make a band. You called R.E.M. This is a great example. Yeah. Right there, you know, sure. Like, yeah, like it's like there's more. We were a crew. Yeah, you don't want to be like, well, you know, I think we can get a little better bass player, so you're fired. We're going to get some better. It's not like that. It's not like a little squad of business people, you know? No, it was definitely how it was kind of how we rubbed our sticks together to make our, our, our fire that was, you know, unique to us. It's beautiful, man. Yeah. Sometimes it doesn't work for very long. It works yeah. well, but it doesn't work for very long. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's really rough to, to get everybody pointed in the same direction sometimes. One time we were doing a gig in the basement of uh, Portsmouth M- Music Hall, and my good friend uh, Tammy uh, Hashi yep. was working the bar there, and we got all set up, and my bass player and the drummer went into the bathroom, and they you know, we're ready to go. The place is sold out. And those guys whacked up and passed out in the bathroom and the door was locked and we couldn't get them out of the bathroom for like an hour and a half. And Mm. everybody's looking at me like Mm. get for me to get my shit together. So you can only take that so, so long. Sure. Yeah. And of course there's a a self-defeating, you know, shooting yourself in the foot aspect of that too. Right. The timing of that couldn't be more obvious. I mean, it's, it's, it, It it may not be a conscious effort, but it's an effort nonetheless. Sure. You, of all the times in the week that you want to go into the bathroom and get Jeez. blasted, so let's wait until just minutes before. Well, but 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 that's not on you, man. It's not on you, Leo. No, no. no. But they no. were very desperate, and yeah. um, and there was lots of beauty that um they felt getting getting high. So yeah, of course. Yeah. So anyhow. Yeah, that's a, that's a that's a that's a scary door there too. Yeah. You know, yeah. everyone lives it. Seen, music. seen some really lows uh, with all of that kind of stuff, but you know, um, I've had way more highs musically than lows. I mean, of course, good, of course. But this, there's a legitimacy to all this stuff. It all goes together. Not what, what's not what's one of the coolest shows you played, but what's one of the coolest shows you've seen? Like you went out and you saw. Maybe you didn't even know it was going to be that amazing. Was it some amazing big night with a million people, or was it a little club, or? Can you think of a couple of shows and you're just like, oh, wow, man. Yeah. Um, one time I went to see Kevin Kinney at uh, Paradise. Okay. And he was the lead of Driving and Crying. Right. Yeah. And he came out with his acoustic and he started playing. And then this guy sauntered out with a bottle of Jack Daniels. It was a Peter Buck. Nice. And... Um, they both proceeded to drink the whole bottle uh, in front of the crowd and uh, did a duet and blew that place uh, away. Wow. wow. So that was pretty heavy. Didn't see it. Mm, oh, I really, yeah. really enjoyed that one. Another one was um, in college, I went to see a Dire Straits and uh, <laughs> I didn't know anything about them and I floated out of that place. Right. Couldn't believe it. Women, they were almost like a little indie women, band. Women crying. Yeah. Uh, was, people were completely gobbed and blown away i couldn't yeah. believe it yeah the the beauty of their of their music coming out of that pa oh my god yeah there's like a presence you know and like a moment to that whole time 
and the way that those songs kind of fit into those times. People really listened to the songs and really owned them. And the whole place knew every word of Mark Knopfler's, and I didn't have any experience with that. I didn't know their music. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So those were two high ones, I guess. Yeah. How about a couple of interesting places you played? Like, do you remember shows that you played that were yeah. a little different? Um, one year, uh, this promoter in St. Thomas uh, called up uh, Don Law in Boston. In so did you know Don Law? Yeah. Okay. For people, uh, I don't know if I can really characterize Don Law in any other way other than that every major market has one guy that just rises to the top. Mm. And you think of Bill Graham and like uh, San Francisco. Well, Don Law was the guy in Boston. Oh, yeah. For better or for worse, for hook or by crook, this was the guy. He actually built some of the big edifices around here. Yep. And he, oh, I think, to be honest, I think he built them so he could book them himself so people wouldn't fuck with him and shit. But some of those things are the best places to see bands right now in 2018. They're sure. still there. I think Great Woods is probably his crowning achievement, right? What do, you, what do we call this now? The bank? Uh, the whatever center. The latest and greatest center. Sure. That place I, in Foxborough, right? Is that what they call it? Is that what it is? Yeah. But, he also put together the Blue Hills the Pavilion, the tent. Um, yeah. Next to the water. It's sorry, we're we're all all three of us are kind of <laughs> choking up on these words. It's it's it, these places have been named so many fucking things since they originally originally. It's so called stupid. Great Woods. That's what it is. Great Woods. Yeah. It's like this is shed the, in the woods, and it's kind of on a hill. Sure. And it and and most of the place it sounds okay. <laughs> sometimes <laughs> it's, it's sand. Sometimes yeah. it's grass. <laughs> sometimes it's kind of like just shitty PA. But sometimes it's beautiful. Like there's and and you know on a perfect night there's stars and it, it's like the best thing ever. I, I wanted to pick the oh, perfect yeah. place to bring my son for his first show, and he was a little nerdy guy like me, and he wanted to see yes. And I'm like, you're gonna see yes at Great Woods. <laughs> that perfect. Was like, like ten. And he's like, why does it smell funny, Dad? I'm like, I'm going to tell you about that later, kid. Just enjoy it while you're here, you know? But, oh, uh, yeah. And so Don Law, you work, did you work, did, did you actually Don Law book you, or you must have known him somewhere? Well, he threw me lots of, lots of uh, cherries. Um, but in this case, uh, a, a promoter from St. Thomas. Thomas in the U.S. Virgin Islands um, called up, and he needed uh, a band on... Th- that was not a signed band. So he said, hey, who's your best unsigned uh, band uh, in Boston? And uh, Don Law said, you know, um, my crew. So he he gave them uh, my number. And um, so we, you know, they sent us some airplane tickets and they gave us a, a really fat uh, per diem and set us up uh, in a fruit orchard at this really nice house. And um, so we played there for five weeks. Uh, what? <laughs> six nights a week. Uh, yeah, three wow. shows, three shows a day, six nights a week. Wow, that's a lot of work. Yeah. Were you in the same ass- show? Yeah, we worked our asses off. But it was great. We were really good when 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 we came back. The guys that were there for the two weeks before us was uh, Bon Jovi, because <laughs> John and Richie were in a spat and they were trying to put it back uh, together and they're friends with this guy, Bill, that owned Barnacle Bills. So they went down and they they did, uh, they jammed a Barnacle Bills for two weeks and stayed in that house we stayed in. And then John moved out and I moved in uh, the next day. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, and, the, and the, how did they get, who was watching you? I'm a little confused. It was like a resort thing? 
Um, St. Thomas was really the most industrialized one. And right. they had a deep water port there for the big, nasty ships, the sure. yeah. the uh, the Navy guys, the tour ships, all that kind of stuff. So we were never short of uh, people. Oh, so it wasn't just like cruise ship shit? Or, no, or it was it was, you name it, locals. Yeah. We kind of became uh, celebrities on the island because we were you know, black jeans and black boots. And yeah. <laughs> we yeah. didn't look like anybody down right, there. Right, right. You're like the clash. <laughs> I remember time. being on Megan's Bay on uh, the beach there, black shirt, black jeans, and black uh, oh, yeah. black the, boots. The young ladies <laughs> on the, the beach. The young ladies were just hot for you, man. We, we weren't short on dates. <laughs> like anything but what we see every day. No, uh, we were not short on dates. Here comes this, yeah, the crew comes in. Wow. Mm-hmm. Five weeks yeah. in St. Thomas <laughs> with a nice for diem, nothing to think about except for playing some music and chilling. Yeah, that was a good gig. And you made it through the whole thing without everybody hating each other. Like Definitely. That's awesome, man. Yep. Yep. Wow. Unsupervised. <laughs> How about a song, man? Let's keep it going. Okay, this is this is um this is another one that I've been writing. It's called um it's called Abigail. It is what it is in Midtown Manhattan I should have known that this was gonna happen When you left I felt so sad And I had to let you go I had to let you go Did what I could, but I know I let you down. I guess I thought you'd always be around. It really hurt when you moved uptown. I have got to let you go. I've got to let you go. Dropped you off down at the station And now you live without limitations Nothing ever took your place I had to let you go Oh, I just had to let you go Oh, 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 oh,
Yeah. I don't know what you're thinking, Briggs. I feel like these songs feel so familiar, so right. comfortable. They just fit right in. But yeah. they're obviously original, and, and they fit together like, I don't know. It's, you know, a lot of both. But Briggs and I, we've, we've been writing forever, too. But this is just like on another different kind right. of thing. It's so natural. Thank man. you, brother. Thank you. Yeah, it just feels like that song's always been there. Right. <laughs> so, obviously, I'm setting you up here. When did you start writing that song? <laughs> Um, is that another uh, sort of group group of hooks? Yeah, that's another super right from this past winter. Ex- exactly right. Yeah, that was the first thing that I had was the ending. Yeah. yeah. So that gets pushed right. to the end, and then you're right. right. So uh, so I'm trying not to I'm trying not to um, fall into the trap of elevating the chorus with um with more volume or more more like musical right. compression I'm trying to elevate with emotion wow man yeah, it's working <laughs> <laughs> no but every 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 time you say it I want to go back and listen to what you say right? again why because that's a good idea yeah sure <laughs> yeah that's a really good idea instead of going yeah 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 cornflakes cornflakes here come the crunch berries cornflakes 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 <laughs> The oh, whole I love does. No, you know what I mean. But it feels like all the way through. I see what you're saying. So you're not building up to this big chorus. You're just letting it. Mm. Yeah. When I just said I love the cornflakes, I yeah. don't. I was just making the point that the chorus would be an emotional take on cornflakes. Yeah. So, so love sure. would then enter in. Yeah. No, I mean, obviously I was saying it in the negative on purpose. So do you feel like, do you feel like, huh. hmm. does that feel uncomfortable? Not, uh, not. I don't mean uh, making the chorus uh, not this, you know, big fireworks. I mean, does it feel uncomfortable to put something where you wouldn't normally put it? Do you learn the songs again? Yeah. Do you good. go back, or do you just do they just kind of become that in your head? If if they don't become something new, I'm in deep trouble because I can't like uh, negotiate with myself or with the parts while they're being played. So if they don't naturally go to uh, go to a spot and hold that spot, I'm in deep duty. How do you remember the songs? Uh it has to be A to B to C to D. It has to be a a line. It can't be like I couldn't tell you what the second verse is. But I could tell you after I sing the first chorus. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. How literal are you being? You're I'm really being really literal. Wow. So you start the song from the beginning. Yes. That's a big piece of information. Right. That's a really huge piece of information. I'm sure of it. Yeah. That is not typical. And don't think it's wrong. Many times frowned upon. And I think it's absolutely important. I mean, that's... that's. Hmm. I win. If that's what it takes to get to what you have, then never do anything else right, right. i'm <laughs> trying to make sure that i can attach an emotion to a, yeah, any song that i'm say, yeah. that, right. I, that yeah. i'm playing so yeah you jumped ahead to the next you question can't, you right? can't jump into the middle of it if you're doing it that way right you gotta yeah do the natural progression yeah let's start this argument from halfway through okay <laughs> right yeah exactly <laughs> yeah no but that's actually i was going with it because I mean, there has to be a reasoning behind this other than craft or whatever but i think that's maybe one of the things that i'm picking up on what reasons i'm reacting so so quickly to the songs is that 
it really feels like you're singing the song. That's why I asked you, how do you memorize your songs? Mm. It's it's not. It doesn't feel like a circus act. It doesn't feel like you know. Oh, now I have to go back and learn my song so I can sing it for you. It, it does feel like that's how the song sits in your head. Do they change? Like, do you record them and then you go to sing them again and they're different? Yeah, they change night to night as I perform them. So I could have a totally different set of words on one night to another night. I love that. Yeah, I just adore that. Well, I've it's something I've always wished I wasn't afflicted with because so many times I've been playing a song and there's my friends are there and their mouths are doing one thing and I'm doing something totally different. I think, oh my Bro, God, yeah, for you once to, I should just right. sing the fucking words. You went to 150 shows. 150 dead shows by the time you were 17, 18. Dude, how many of those were identically the same? Yeah, none. None. Right. And, you know... They made some cash. So if you need to, uh, not you, but if someone in the audience is listening and you need to try to objectify, well, you know, that can't happen. Yeah, fuck, it can happen. Also, all jazz, you know, like, but wow. I mean, but if that's how it works, that's how it works. Yeah, that's how it's always had to be for me. Where do you think all this stuff comes from? Do you mind me asking? That's a big question. I know I know you've probably thought about that question in your own way. Like, where does it actually come from? Well, uh, the way I like to think of it is um, there's no magic that I know of. Uh, I just feel like I kind of live in a universe of melodies, and I can just kind of look up in the sky and kind of focus on some of those melodies and just, you know, and yeah. and just use that. So I don't feel like I'm in, in really inventing uh, anything. Do you just sing to yourself all the time? I say just. Constantly. I didn't mean that. I apologize for that. Everything right. is, a, is a song all darn day. Yeah. Mowing the lawn can be awesome or a nightmare. Right? <laughs> <laughs> my kids are uh, kind of turning out the same way. My children are yeah. singing constantly. Do you want to talk about your kid for a sec? Oh, sure. Your kid's been on the podcast, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. He's Leo Ganley, and I'm Leo Ganley. He's, yeah, he's a junior. Yeah, he's the big one. He's taller and <laughs> stronger and more handsome than I am. <laughs> well, come on, he's working all day in the at the grocery store. He's that's lifting right. stuff all day. Of yeah. course, he's gonna build it up. Oh, that's it's great. just so much fun to watch him uh, discover rock and roll, and um, yeah. you know, uh, over the years, you know, bring this this knucklehead record and say, Hey, you know, look who I'm, who I'm playing. And I, you know, think, Oh, yeah. cuff, you know, yeah. You know, I cut my teeth on that too. Sort of thing. Yeah, I know. Well, I mean, I'm sure he'll, he would cringe, but it's my job to say it. <laughs> he would cringe if, if you heard me say it, but uh, you know, he thinks everything about you. I mean, that's all I'm going to say. That's cool. I won't embarrass you guys anymore. But, uh, cool. <laughs> but yeah, no, it was a treat having he and his, his band. He's in a band with uh, a young man who's lucky. His, his, his father's done, done quite well and toured the world as well. So it's funny that the young people kind of got together on that, I know, on that right? same level. I mean, they have this strange connection I know. through what their, what their dads did. You know? The last time I saw his dad, the last winter, I was... I gave him a big hug. I'm like, this is too funny. It's I too know. awesome. <laughs> too awesome because we're both kind of rock and roll idiots. So it's kind of funny that that our boys are kind of rock and roll idiots yeah, too. <laughs> no, it's not funny. It's awesome, man. And then they found this this strange little drummer dude. I'm 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 joking. He's the the sweetest, and he's amazing. He's great. He's, he's a really brilliant good. artist. Yeah. so good. A brilliant artist. Yep. This tiny young. What well, I mean, it's not small. I mean, young young person, and. 
I don't even know where the thing comes from, but mm. I know that we lit him up and asked him, and he just talked about it for like a half an hour, and it was just the best. Right? You know? He's and special. He grooves. Yeah, and you and you just uh, that stuff is is just I don't know. It's fuel for everybody when you listen and you and you hear it, and you know that it's being passed along. You know that you know that there's a tradition here. Yeah, we we talk a lot about craft. I mean, pretty much daily. Um, I'm lucky that he's still living with me now. Um, he was going to move out, but he, he lives at home now, and I'm really it's a blessing every day. We talk about our craft every every day. And yeah. when he was a little guy coming up and first started playing a guitar, um, I put in. I put a mic on a straight mic stand in his bedroom. So that every time you play your guitar, you have to stand up and, and uh, put your lips on, yeah, on uh, the this. mic. So it feels right. Yeah. So, I mean, right from the... It's like be- T-ball. Right from the beginning. <laughs> well, you're not gigging if your lips aren't on the mic. Right. So. The best T-ball ever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> T-ball means T-ball. Like <laughs> baseball T-ball, not yeah. drug T-ball. Oh, yeah. But anyway, yes. No, it's funny because when I met uh, your kid... I remember thinking, oh, he doesn't have any problem singing at all. I mean, that age group, you know what I'm saying? They oh, yeah. were really young. Um, my, It's complicated, but my stepbrother-in-law's kid, so basically my, you know, my nephew, but um, who was in a band with your kid and all this kind of stuff. But in the problem with those kind of bands, those young bands, especially in 2018, is nobody wants to sing. Or if they do want to sing, they want to be on the fucking voice or something. You yeah, know, it's yeah. a different kind of thing. They're like, you play these songs for me as I sing them, you know. And... It's great because Leo's like, no, he's singing. You're like, oh, wow, okay. And that Lots of confidence. Give me that mic. Well, a lot of it is just not having someone in your family who's going, oh, you're going to go fucking play the guitar again? Can't you go get a job or <laughs> yeah. go play sports or something? Yeah, right. That'll, you're never going to make any money. Like, that's why you play music in the first place. That's not why you play music in the first place. Definitely not. You know? If it is, it's a short career, you know? <laughs> wow. Okay, so how did you, first off, how did you end up up here after the whole Providence thing? Uh, well, you know, when I came home, uh, when I kind of uh, quit the band. Blowing off yeah, LA. Yeah, I kind of quit the band and uh, came home. And um, then I started working in a warehouse and kind of putting my life back together, uh, getting a job. And I put myself through night school. And I met my uh, future wife, uh, Lynn. And she really kind of changed my life in um and I've, but I never stopped musically doing what I do. Of course not. And then I fell in. I was making a solo record, and I was working in the same building as Tim McCoy from Heavens to Murgatroyd. And at that point, Timmy and a I, future, uh, had, uh, a future alumni of this podcast, <laughs> a future alumni. He's not. At, he hasn't been on yet, but yeah. At that point, uh, Timmy and I were writing songs together at night, so we would uh, get together and. Uh, I mean, I mean, like two, three, four, five a.m. And we called ourselves nocturnal creatures, and we only worked in uh, at the middle of the night. Right. So we started writing some uh, some hits at, uh, together, and um, so when I was cutting my first record, my first uh, solo record, he was like, "Dude, can I be y- your bass player?" Yeah. So I'm like, "Oh hell yeah!" So we did that, and we were making a record, and Paul LeBrun called me up and said come play at the stone uh, church with your new band right on and i was like i don't know the story of seacoast royal this is (laughs) i was hearing it straight from like it's so civil (laughs) well i was like songs played stone church (laughs) i said i said i'm I'm saying i love this i said to paul that we don't really have a band we don't really have a band name he's like no no no. you gotta come play uh uh call yourselves weed 
And I was like, right. So Tim what? was Tim was in a band called Heavens to Murgatroyd. Yeah, and they had done quite well. Oh yeah, and they everybody knew who these people were. I'm actually lucky enough to have the uh, Heavens to Murgatroyd uh, Halifax organ. I own that. Uh, I bought <laughs> yeah. it from uh, from nice. your buddy there yeah. uh, when he was selling it, and uh, and it's one of my favorite pieces of equipment. It's like that that it just it holds so much. I wasn't even a huge Murgatroyd fan or whatever. It's just the whole concept of how important music was at that time is embodied to me in that piece of, uh, cool. of equipment. But so Tim had already done like a relatively decent job around the Seacoast. Oh, heck yeah. yeah. And he's looking at you going, dude, I want you to, I want to play bass with you. And you had this thing coming in from like the whole going up the mountain and flying down the other side thing. Right. You guys are working in a warehouse and yeah. That, this is a very romantic story. <laughs> well, I, I don't mean bromantic. I mean, you know. Well, I had a lot to write about. Hollywood movie. And we get in the studio and it was, it was kapow. I mean, it was really uh, sparks. So Paul Lebrun, the guy who booked the Stone yeah. Church, so, named your band Weed? Well, he said you should call yourselves Weed. And we were like, that would be cool. So <laughs> I know what it was. So so I said, no, I don't really. So easy. So, um, so Dave um, Gerard, I think it was from Truffle, yeah, was doing a set before us, and I said, um, "I said to, the place was packed," and I said to Dave, "I'm, I'm like, wow, you guys really uh, pack him in." And he goes, "I don't know any of these people." <laughs> and I'll start up for you guys. Well, I didn't know any of them either. So yeah. we played our set, and then I went. I was a marketing major in college, so I I went around with my paper and i canvassed 20 people and said why did you come tonight and 18 of the 20 said they wanted to see who weed was right so i, I went out back uh, to the boys and said i think we should stick with the name weed because right. everybody came to see who weed was and then we proceeded to play like 10 years of ballsy it. shows and had a great time <laughs> it was awesome. but that band okay so the band was weed then it became weed incorporated yeah i'm sorry um, there may, I, if there's painful shit in here no 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 our our attorney said there was a band called weed up in toronto they were a um an acoustic act but they hadn't copyrighted it and we could take the name and stuff and i was like i don't want to do that right <laughs> i'm like that, right. that's not cool yeah so i'm like no we can come up with a different name and tim was like how about weed incorporated or weed that's inc and i was like great i was like cool it's so right. we just went with that name but I didn't want to power play somebody out of their band no, name. That's no. fucking not cool. Right. <laughs> no. So Weed Incorporated or Weed Inc. Really, right? Inc. Yeah. Right. How did that? Did so? Did that band? How did that band handle recording? Well, because this is a, this is a weird time in that space there where there were not a lot of label deals. Yeah. You know, Everybody had you know their home recording shit, so it, it right. kind of changed around. I wasn't interested in in trying to chase a label deal. I had made right. the made the decision I wanted to just be my own kind of artist and be in in uh, control of uh, what I do. So, um, I went to my friend Chris uh, Magruder's at uh, Thundering Sky, who engineered All right on. and produced my record before that, and uh, you know he helped me record my record. Sure. And we made a demo, and um, somebody gave it to Greg Kretschmar, and he made one of our songs, this, his song of the summer. Okay. And Greg summer. Kretschmar, for people who don't know, is a classic DJ. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and again, I, I, I've just had 
clovers growing out of my my ears my whole life. Right so you know he was really you know extremely cool and you know helped helped us. And uh, you know he's been a longtime supporter of, of all kinds of, of music. Everybody. Yeah, he's great. He's amazing. Yeah. So he really. Um, so once that happened, then like lots of people were coming to our shows sure. uh, and stuff like that. And um, I remember we had the last big outdoor show in Portsmouth. We played by the Johnny Wanamaker, and we set up an outdoor stage and sold 750 tickets. It was a pr- oh, right on. <laughs> it was a problem. <laughs> <laughs> So after I that, that show, there was like a there was like a, 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 sh- a like a boat, a ship, or whatever that was docked. Johnny and was, Wanamaker, and yeah. you could play on that. Yeah, but it was we were too big. We had to play next to it. So our stage was up against the bridge. So we were under the bridge. So there was people up on the bridge watching us from above and behind us. Right. And everybody was in the front, uh, the front of us there. Yeah, that was a a big moment. Yeah. Yeah, that was had like a, a a noise ordinance come in. Yeah, we got in trouble, and then they yeah, had you a, shouldn't have gotten in trouble. They you had a meeting, fucking wrong. That but, was it. Yeah, so yeah, but yeah, that was that used to be like a really hot place to go see bands too, or yeah. or just actually just hang out. It was could be college thing or yeah. not you know? outdoor stuff during the summer. Sure. Yeah, but it's, yeah, down in that area in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, right on the water near the big. Bridge, which is lit up at night. It was yeah. just it's a you know it's a, just a really colorful, interesting, huge tides coming in, you know, ten foot tides oh, yeah. coming in and out of that river, and the tugboats and boat boats from you know Russia coming by, carting like junk metal. It's a magical place there. It is. Uh, you do you know? I'm sure you know about it. Uh, if you if you follow the Piscataqua out the mouth of the Piscataqua, which is sort of you know take a right at the bridge. There are two big stanchions. There's two big, these huge, like, I don't know how to describe it. They're like, you know, stone towers, right? But they're all brick stone, you know, put together stone. Obviously man-made kind of things. And they're just huge. And you just look at them and you go, why are they there? Because to the north of it is the prison. Or it's not the prison anymore. It's that abandoned prison, oh, yeah, right? right? And to the south, you kind of go down into Strawberry Bank and stuff. And uh, but that area there and these two things. And I remember I have a friend who's really into Portsmouth uh, history. And he said, there's a submarine net and it's still there. It's so huge and big and heavy that it's not worth. I don't know if that's true or not, Mm. if they ever pulled it up. But he said it's still there. And that was the idea was that. In those stanchions, you there are these huge pulleys, and they could pull up this net, mm, yeah. so that if you know during World War II, any of the submarines came up, yep. they pull the net up, and they couldn't go up the Piscataqua and invade, like the the inlands, because the Piscataqua goes way inside, and obviously if you got in there, you right. flank everybody on the uh, on the seacoast. But it's crazy that that stuff is still. It's not crazy. It's awesome that it's, it's still there right <laughs> it reminds you that it wasn't a movie you know it's right there and i'd love to know that at the bottom of the by the way you want to write a song about this all yours man. <laughs> if you wanted to uh if you want to you know if, if that at the bottom of that channel is there's still that submarine net just waiting to come up and save everybody's ass from the uh, <laughs> from the invading forces how romantic i know i know I'm, can you tell i'm kind of on that kick right now but yeah wow so how did so but then obviously all these things go to the end people we, we talked about it before on the podcast like the beatles were together for eight years that's it eight years and that's kind of a snap like yeah that. and so like how long has rem been playing like what 
30 you know yeah. like it's it's uh, it's a different thing you uh, i mean maybe i'm a little cynical about it but even now when i get involved with stuff i'm always like well let's just do a couple of gigs and that'll be great you know and if it if you want to do like a tour or something okay let's do, you know that'll be fine maybe do a tour but i'm not really interested in setting up a thing that has no no actual direction at all i'm not saying that other people should be that way if that's the case, it's more of like it would have to be about the material, not about the people in the band. But the idea that I said, hey, man, I guess I could hang with you guys for, you know, seven hours while we drive to Niagara Falls and play a gig and come back. That's great. I might be able to hang for, you know, a, a month on tour or whatever, if that's the case. But to just say I'm going to hang with you guys for the next 25 years, it doesn't. It doesn't even make any sense. I mean, it's a band isn't a, an ice cream shop. <laughs> That's not how it works. No, F- for me, it's um, it's like you know, you develop a a musical language, you know, and then you couldn't imagine speaking that with someone else because it wouldn't make sense with somebody else. So for me, that's what's happened in my life. Yeah, you get to know people when you play music with them in a way that. Well, it depends, especially what type of music you're playing. But if you're playing something that's relatively earnest, you're not playing something super ironic or comedic. Yeah. Um, sometimes you get to know people far more intimately than you would by just talking to them. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to talk to someone about that. I don't want to talk in English about that pain or, or that joy or that stuff. But when you play the musics, you just know those people. And that's volatile, man. It's hard to... It takes a special kind of person to be able to open up like that night after night after night for like 10 years. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. You almost have to take a lot of chances. You got to put your kind of metaphorical pants at your ankles, especially when you're on stage and in front of other people, because then you all have to recoil as a group and handle those challenges as a team. And then you've got an inside joke. And then you're speaking a language that only you guys you guys know so it just seemed like the more chances that we took as artists the tighter we would always get yeah yeah and when someone is on stage and they're not where they don't have their pants down it's a rough it's a rough ride home right i mean Mm. tomorrow night and and yeah but People are going to be people, you know? I have always tried to let it all hang out every time I sing. And I do this in my own house if I'm by myself or if I'm doing a a gig. So anybody that gigs with me has to really let it all all hang out. And that's what I say to my kids, that if you're not going right to the edge of your abilities, right to the edge of your emotion, then... You're not doing it's it. It's funny, yeah. I remember growing up as a little guy, and I come from that family. You know, you just wear your heart on your sleeve. And and then I'd hang with people that were like that. And the first couple of bands I was in, it was like, oh, we're going to play High Fly, Touch This Guy. This is the best song. You guys are going to love this, right? And, of course, people going like, what the fuck is that song? Play Black Sabbath, you know, or whatever. And just not even knowing that someone could even not like this as much as me, you know? <laughs> and I tried for so long to not be that person. That I funny. was wrong. I'm back. I'm back, baby. I will play funny. whatever the fuck I want. I know you're not going to like it, but you're going to like it because I like it. And if you don't, it's okay. 
there's another one coming. It's all good, man. <laughs> like you can go see Black Sabbath tomorrow. It's okay. You know, I just love that. No, I mean, I, you can tell that just from listening when you play. Anytime you play, Leo, I've heard you play a bunch of times. You can be at an open mic and you're putting it all out there. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter what it is. You're just going to put it out. Every time. I, I don't care. If it's in the afternoon on lunch break, I do it as hard as I can. I'm going to argue that that is part of the deal. I'm going to yeah. argue that really is part of the deal, you know? Briggs and I have been doing this for a while, a couple of years now, and that means all the other stuff goes along with it too. You know, we hang out, we listen to Discover Weekly on my Spotify, and that's that's become an awesome right. thing because Briggs has his, and we were just talking about on the way in how Karen or whoever at Spotify puts together my playlist for me. <laughs> <laughs> like, just didn't show up this week at all. We're thinking maybe that's she's funny. in Turks and Caicos or something. Right. <laughs> No, and then like last week was like bass player week. I don't know what happened, but it's like what it is. But the thing is, like, I think the only way to get through that is to just constantly be having fun, like doing it. And if it's going to be serious, get fucking serious. Yep. Yeah. Right. And find people, you know, that 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 can can that can deal with you the way you are and that aren't asking you to be someone that's different Then as an artist. That lets you fly. The most success that I've ever had playing with other people was completely by accident. Mm -hmm. I've always thought the most fun thing to do, I'm a piano player, is to play the piano while someone else sings or plays the saxophone or plays the violin or whatever. That's just, it just fits my fucking personality. It's not the best way to make money. It's not the best way. You can't make a career out of that. It's, da -da -da. it's just what I like to do, Right. You're like, hey, Chaka Khan says she wants to play with you. I'm like, great. I'll play piano. You sing. I am in fucking heaven. That's that just works for me. Mm. And like, I've, you know, you, you you try you try try to change, try to do all these things. In the end, you're gonna come back to that, and that is wearing your heart on your sleeve. That is saying, that's just what I like doing. And when I play, I'm gonna do my best to make you fly. And make you cry mm. and watch the audience cry with you. I'm going to do whatever I can to just yeah. bring all of that shit right up front. Yeah. Yeah. There's something about telling the truth that has some unbelievable power. Man. Sure. You know? Amen to that. Yeah. How does it work when, yeah. you're, when you're writing? Do you even, is it really, does it flow by you or do you, it doesn't sound like you try a lot, you know? Well, no, I don't have to really try to write something. That's where the rewriting came in for me, is that I would write so quickly and I'd think, man, I could have done better than that. Or that's some really flowery words, um, you know, instead of words that mean something. Right. So uh, I don't have any problem putting uh, words down to something. I do that naturally during the writing process. But these days I'm saying, should that even be there? You know, and 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 I don't want like direct rhymes anymore. Like I don't want to rhyme, you know, cup with up, but I would more want a family rhyme like uh, cup and must, you know, something that is a family rhyme, but isn't so uh, in uh, the pocket. Sure. Family rhyme. You're adding all these cool yeah, words right? to my super writing. <laughs> <laughs> You're just adding them right to the right right to the list of stuff. I make up a lot of words. <laughs> Diddy five. My family um has a book of the words that I make up. So like It's my, a good book, man. My kids and my wife. Family rhyme though, oh, that that does make sense. 
Right. What you're saying. Something's driving you to do that. You know, something's pushing you to say, yeah, let's let's lose the cup and up and let's go to a family rhyme. Yeah, I feel more authentic. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. So how does it work now? You you're you 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 write now. Are you reaching how does how does the process actually work in 2018? Do you do you get together with a bunch of people and play the song or do you just start recording it or Well, what I'm doing now is I I write and play it a lot live and I'm I record myself every time that I play, whether I'm at home or with my partners. I I have little Sony a D50 that I bring with me, and I record yeah, everything. It, it's over there. You're probably yeah. with you right. today, yeah. And uh, I don't go anywhere without it. Um, and so when I get home that night, I dump the stuff in, and then I'll like email the other players what we worked on. And then once we've got it good as a team, what I'm doing now is I'm actually, I'm picking the best of performances, finding precisely what the BPMs are, and then I'm framing out a click track. And then actually, like the next time I get to that guy's house, if he's the bass player, I've got, you know, five or so um, songs framed out on, on a click track. So it's like, oh yeah, remember those? Yes, let's get bass on those tonight so i'm always bringing around uh, a bunch of a bunch of things right you answered that uh earlier you you like to work you like the people that you work with you like it if they have the same software as you do yeah so that you can transfer a file over and they can add something and then transfer it back and you can feel pretty comfortable about yeah, that exactly it's been working really really it's sweet so you've crowdsourced the recording studio that's what's kind of been happening. <laughs> yeah. And I've been going to a Thundering Sky with Chris yeah. Magruder to, to get stuff mixed. A brilliant guy around yeah. here who a lot of people, people who know, know what I'm talking about. A lot of people don't know him. And the more, it, it, when people go, oh, that guy, they find out, they go over right. there, they check out what he's doing. Man, I mean, oh, the last time I was down there, Billy Payne from Little Feet was recording. Mm. And you're just like, that's how you do it, man. In the middle of Little New Hampshire, you got one of the best keyboard players of all time. Yeah. Coming in. That's I was so very cool. lucky. They were looking for a Wurlitzer. I got very cool. I got the gig to bring my Wurlitzer over. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I said, I'll bring it Here over you are, sir. for free, but you just get, I, you gotta let me watch. I mean, and it was great. And the guy couldn't have been sweeter. You were recording. Do you actually, were you going over to Thundering Sky? Yeah, I take my data yep. to Chris, and I'm getting pretty good at, at capturing data these days. I'm yep. lucky enough to have, you know, elite guitar amps and yeah. special acoustics and, you know, mics that, you know, I couldn't have had but when I was younger. you're recording through some serious channels as well. I know you're using Neves on the way in. And yeah. You're really doing some really good work. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, we've got some big time, some big time hardware that again we just couldn't have had when we were younger, yeah. and so now our our recording channels are just capturing lots of butter. Yeah, and Chris is uh, Chris is a great engineer. He's a great producer. He's great at capturing live performance. He's also great at mixing. One of the things that I think just stands out above everything is the guy's acoustic guitar tone is just one of the greatest. Chris's, Chris's ears are special. Yeah. And um, the key lesson that he taught me uh, when I was a kiddo is that um, the board is really uh, just a big EQ. Yeah, That's all the whole studio is, is just a big EQ one way or the other. And that's that's the takeaway from Chris, and he, his ears are special. Yeah, you can take <laughs> excuse me, you can take it one more step, 
and just say everything is levels. Yeah. Everything. Um, the he, fingers on the six strings are yeah. levels. Everything's levels. Right. When we were recording weed, uh, weed records, um, we'd go in with some pretty heavy firepower. I mean, I would... You know, my setup was three matchless amps, and <laughs> Tim had twin Ampeg refrigerators for bass, and we wow. he we brought SVTs, that VTs, not refrigerators. We brought that stuff everywhere we went. <laughs> I know, and so we'd show up to Chris's with that. He'd be like, "Oh, Come mother on, of heavens! You know what are you doing? All right. we need is one speaker and a sure, mic." And we'd sure. be like, "No, we need our stuff." And he was always so good to us. And in one of the weirdest gigs ever. Uh, so uh, I, I I like I pride myself in just skimming the cream off the top of gigs <laughs> around this ecosystem. I have no idea how long I'm only going to get away with it for like two more weeks, and people are going to find out. But uh, this is like a number of years ago. A number of years ago, we uh, Weed Inc was still together. I believe we both played on the same show at the Red Hook. It was thanks to Gravity with like four other people ah. and Weed, and I I know you were. In it, were you in any other bands with Tim or just Weed Ink? No, no, just Weed Ink. Then no. it was Weed Ink, and uh, yeah, I, I there, I remember. Well, I remember number one. Remember your amps. I remember you because I knew you anyway. Of course, I remember Tim. I think he started. I could be wrong. I've seen Tim a number of times. I think he started by going up to the front and just playing like staring the audience down until they fucking stop talking sounds about right and then the drummer came out sounds about right he came out you guys rocked and shit but yeah and I'm thinking oh cool I brought my old Bondi iMac because it'll be cool to have it on stage and just going I don't know anything about rocking at all it's funny after watching this that's funny. The two bands couldn't be more different. I mean, well, know. I had a magical rhythm section. Those guys were real men, just killers. Real, real men uh, yeah. in the, in our rhythm section. Very, yeah. very powerful. Yeah, I just, I, I, that was one of those shows that just got in the pocket. I'm like, that's how you rock. <laughs> that's all I need to know about it. Um, you know? Norm, our drummer, yeah, is, Norm, right. is known as being someone that would not speed up or slow down no. ever. He'd be one of those guys where once you get a song started, like you think, oh man, we're a little slow. And one time I learned this with Norm. I turned I, 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 I turn around and said, Norm, if you could, you know, pick it up a bit. And he smiled because he smiles through every song. He's a real professional. Yeah, ear right, to right. ear smiles every yeah, song. He's rocking. And he nods yes and says, no fucking way. <laughs> 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 Actually, Tell me if I'm wrong, but that's kind of what you want out yeah, of the like, rules. They're like, hey, you know, sometimes you're wrong, bro. And this is Too one of those late, times. Right? <laughs> <laughs> this is how the song's going to go. Yeah. So, yeah, but that, that's what you want. That's the rock. Yeah. It's the straight out swindle, man. Boom. Just put it out there. You know? <laughs> yeah. That we were awesome. we were playing up at the a big brew house someplace in Burlington or something. And the sound guy was super nerdy and he had... um. He had a metronome, and he and so we were talking in between sets. We were actually Sound out in our with a metronome. We were out in right our there. That's that. I'm sorry. I keep going, but I'm you know I'm, takes a second. You're like, oh Jesus! Oh, I don't have enough fuck yous. Mm. 
so we were sound guy. so we took a break so we went out to the bus because it was so, so crazy in the clubs you know so we and then the sound guy came out and he knocked and came in the bus and and he said i gotta tell you something um I've been triggering your drummer's snare drum, and then I watch it against the metronome, and he goes, no one ever doesn't waver. He said, I have to tell you something. Um, I thought your your drummer was running on some kind of metronomic uh, gauge because he never wavers. And he said, I've been working, I've been doing this for years. I never see that. And then he said, but I'll get him in the second set. Leave it to the sound <laughs> guy to objectify right, it, right. to try to turn into a fucking number. Mm. Your entire life's experience and your willingness <laughs> to get up, rip your pants off and show it to the audience just to share with them the pain that life is. And you're like, hey, no, but you were a little off the click. <laughs> that guy did go fuck himself. Yeah. <laughs> I know. This makes me so crazy. And we were just playing rock and roll. You know, we we're just, and just right, playing right, the game. Sure. You have to go through the sound guy. I wouldn't care. But if you don't go through the sound guy. You're nothing. You you have to go through the sound guy for people to hear you. The guy could be like, oh, you're a little off. I'm turning you down. Oh, Jesus. Whoever that is, mm. I hope that the next beer you open is just like <laughs> so fucking rancid and it makes you throw up your goddamn clam dinner. I, I or think from that ate. guy's perspective, though, he was trying to pay a compliment. Yeah, he was wrong. Drummer, right? It I mean, didn't work. I don't even care. Well, I, here's your compliment. Put the metronome down. Yeah. We Two, were, yeah. listen, make yeah, sure enjoy I can, the show. Yeah, right? Make sure I can hear what the singer is saying. Right. Four and seven and 12. Don't start with the fucking kick drum. <laughs> Nobody fucking cares. That's funny. Start with the lead <laughs> vocal. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So you can hear what they're saying. Um, we got so good. Over. We got so good at working the stone church that we would just have vocal mics on. That's what we you never think? had anything else in yeah. that place. If I can Just hear what you're saying, mix. I love sound guys. Believe me, man. I mean, I'm not trying to shit on sound guys. Sound guys are the last cavalry. I mean, they come to save everything. That's what they're for. They do the perfect work. Most of them. Sometimes, man, you have what 18 inputs you got to deal with. Yeah. The important ones are going to be the features, the vocal. That's the most important mm-hmm. thing. The communication to the audience, right? That's the most important if thing. If they can't hear what the words are, it's frustrating it's, in the audience. It's frustrating for everyone. Mm-hmm. And your job is to make it not frustrating, but pleasurable for everyone. Yes, I understand why you start with the kick. Try starting with the lead vocal next time. Just try it. See what happens. See what happens. Start we learned vocal. after a while. Add stuff we in. We learned that after a while, yeah. Because yeah. the worst thing is when there's 18 inputs and, you're sp- and you have 18 minutes and you spend nine of them on the kick drum. It's just... <laughs> There's nothing more frustrating to me right. than going to watch a band set up and they're like, guh, guh. you're looking over, you got three stacks of keyboards and two acoustic guitars and you're like, oh, you really, really, you really got to get that kick drum together. Right. <laughs> get it right. I, I know that it's an important thing, but it's not the hard thing to get. Anyway, mm, totally not. Sorry. Whatever. It's one of the benefits of having your own podcast that you can bit. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and I don't bitch much. So anyway, yeah, man, you must have seen some shit can you remember the first time you played like a big show like really early on you were like oh no i mean even if it's someone's party or whatever what did that feel like yeah i uh, it it felt um really uh really scary uh for me i've always been really you know afraid and um and it was hard uh in the beginning because the crowds um got kind of big 
kind of fast. Yeah, of course. And I didn't really have a lot of um, confidence in everything going right. So I've never been nervous about whether or not I can sing. I'd just be nervous about something going wrong and the gig not working. There'd be so many people there. So for me, I think it was probably um, playing the living room in Providence and it selling it out and having all those people there to see us. Would you do you feel like you're letting them down if it went wrong, or do you feel like they would think you were you know they were making fun of you, or, or was it a personal thing? How did that uh, work well, for you? I have a pretty high perfection, uh, you know, d- desire. Yeah, and I didn't. I've never let it inhibit my creativity or i take a lot of, of chances yeah, right, yeah. Uh, but um uh, for me the perfection is about the things that i can control so anything that's controllable i want it done there you go done right yeah right so for me my stage fright is never about whether or not i can do it it's i hope everything works right because these people came here we've got a lot in on this Right. Uh, so that's really where my feels like a bet. It feels like you put money on the table and and you got to deliver on that. You you don't want to. Is that that kind yeah. of what it feels like? Yeah. Yeah. It could be my Puritan New England heritage. Can't screw this thing up. <laughs> <laughs> I was watching. Uh, I was watching the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and the Kinks were inducted. Right. And forever, Dave Davies has been in Ray's shadow. So they're going up for the inductment ceremony, and Ray says, forever, my brother Dave has been in my shadow. I'm going to defer to him and let him do our, you know, in our acceptance speech. And the whole crowd was like, oh, isn't that nice? And he turns to Dave and says, here you are. Don't fuck it up. Perfect. (laughs) Perfect. And so so he comes up, and then Dave slouches his shoulders. God. Right. Even at the very end. Right. Don't fuck all it up. All the way to the end. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what did you say? It's it's about us rubbing our sticks together. Yeah, that, that was the their fire. thing. Yeah. I mean, there's no question that that was, that had, I mean, come on. There's so many bands that are like that, where the, where the friction in the band is the, the fuel for the band. Sure. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, how do you feel about, I'm trying to make these not so big questions. Um, how do you feel like where where you are right now? You know, we're listening to music on Spotify. We don't listen to you know. It's a different type of experience for a younger person. A lot of people, a lot of bands just put out one song, you know, and and that's what you see. Spotify. It's like, oh, cool, something new from my favorite band. And it's sure. like one song. You're like, okay, technically correct. Yeah, I something know. new. It's true, <laughs> and for me. It's disappointing, but obviously for the fans, it's not disappointing at all. That's what they want to hear is what's your new song, you know, like, you know, like it's a car that that you're going to drive by and look at my new car, you know, and then no, look at my new car and look at my new car, you know, I mean, I guess that kind of competition's always been there. But how do you weigh in on this? I feel like uh, to make it a little smaller, there used to be fantastic bands a long time ago, but there were only a few. And it, there are only a few, not because everybody else is bad, but because in order to become that band, you need an early development deal. You need to get on the road. You need to write every day. You need to learn to get rid of the person in the band that was toxic. You had to go through all that stuff. Then they put out the big record. Then you get the thing. Then you go out. And now it's very quick. You know, you can anybody can record. They can blast it out. Um, so now it's much easier to get out there. And there's a million musicians, right? 
How do you feel about this whole thing? How do you feel like you fit into this whole thing? Well, <clears throat> I feel like um, uh, people aren't putting in uh, the work. So I feel like, um, put it this way, you should be able to do your song or do your gig no matter what the situation is. Okay. So I feel like I can play these songs without my guitar or with my guitar. Right. And as a band, you know, when I was with, with Weed Inc. one time at the at the brewery there, Red, Red Hook, Hook yeah. uh, the power went out. So we put our stuff down on the edge of the stage and went up and we did a few songs um, um, a cappella. Yeah. And uh, that was probably one of our strongest moments as a band. Yeah. So I just feel like people aren't really putting the work in. Like the only reason we could do that is because we played that song, you know, over and over again. And then we put our instruments down and said, okay, we've played it 50 times. Now we're going to sing it with no sure. instruments. Do it, yeah. Uh, so that's what I worry about is that people aren't really putting in the work and don't have the skill set. So they know how they feel, but they don't know what they know. Yeah. And and I don't like that. I think that's um, not a good thing to build, like a you know, a kind of a music zeitgeist on. So people, I think, need to do more work. Yeah, I think it, I would agree with you in general. I think there there are definitely some a small group that are are doing that work, but in it maybe in a different way, maybe even in a different genre. But yeah, I can hear what you're saying. I, I think the connection. Well, what do you think? I mean, do you feel like your songs do you need to play your songs live do you feel like that makes a thing here's the crux of uh, the biscuit is that people play to blow other people away and i play to blow myself away and i'm not just saying that that's exactly exactly what i'm talking about and that's what i'm mentoring my children is that don't go searching for fans yeah that you're your only fan yeah, that is, I, that is it. That's the end of it. Yeah, I, I went. I, I asked you before, but I was. I asked it in the negative. That was my mistake. Like, yeah. I like. Are you are you worried that you're going to let them down? Are you worried about you're going to you know be look silly? And the answer is no. You're going to let yourself down. So yeah. in this situation, you could look at it in a positive way. You are the fan. You are the thing. I've got to believe that one of the great things about uh, increased communication and the internet and all that is, if I like something no matter how screwed up it is or weird, I do have the ability to reach out and find the other 15 or 20 people in the world who like that sure. screwed up thing too. You know, uh, this this morning, uh, uh, someone who was in for a session here uh, at the studio uh, said, you got to listen to this. And uh, we listened to it. And uh, I don't think I still have it. Does anybody remember the name of that? Oh, I have it right there. Yeah. Um, and what it was was this band called Yezda Urfa, and I did not heard this album. You know, I mean, there's no, I mean, throw it. So it's back whatever thirty years. There's no way I'm going to hear the album unless the, my friend here who came in for the session brought right. the album with him, which he would sure. not have. So I'm like, oh yeah, I flip over. Boop, there's the album. I can listen to it. Oh cool, it sounds like X Y Z. He's like, yeah, you should you know let it uh, send it to Briggs. And so I sent it to Briggs, right? And we're listening. It's just so easy to hear right. all of the music in the world ever at any time. Anytime, sure, yeah. That I think in a way, I, I, I can't see it as a negative. I can only see it as a positive. I still get to hear awesome music every day. Mm. 
And I do get to hear things that I would not have been able to hear before just because whatever some import record shop in Portsmouth never actually ordered it. On the, on the day the guy's going down the list going, one of these, one of these, one of these, skips over my favorite album that I've never heard, which I never will, so I won't know it's my favorite album. You know, now right. it's right there. I, I've never been a seeker-outer of music. It's just exhausting. Yeah, it's exhausting point, yeah. for me, and and it's even more exhausting now than it's ever been. And, you know, when we would go, every time we'd go to New York, we would always, there were some, some record stores we would always go to sure. for, like, you know, um, for, uh, you know, Velvet Underground bootlegs and stuff like that. And so that music wasn't tiring because they felt like they were garage rockers. And that wasn't tiring. But now everything is so, um, everything that I listen to that is brought to me is so uh, serious and so complete that's exhausting for me. Well, right. I mean, like, right. You can get all your music meal in one song for the day. And you kind of want to go back and, and ruminate on it or listen to it a couple more times and da da da. I see what you mean. Yeah. If that's, uh, maybe I'm translating it differently. Yeah. But you don't want to be like, oh, cool. And now I want to hear this person's life story in three minutes. And now someone else's life story that's in three I'm minutes. That's what I'm saying. And someone exactly. else's. Maybe Ex- two more. Exactly. <laughs> um, uh, when I was searching out new music, it would be listen to the mothership on the free waves. Right. Uh, you know, six to nine on Sunday night or whatever. So you had a certain time right. when you were definitely going to go and listen and suck up all of that sure. stuff. And then you had the rest of the week to think about that. That's an interesting call, like saying, this is new music moment. And then yeah. I'm just going to chill on that for a little while. Now think about that. So a new music. Well, that's that's so obviously easily scheduled. I mean, I'd record it on my tape player and then think about it and play it all week, and you know, hear the echo of like the first time I ever heard Queen Latifah or whatever. Like I played her all week because it was so crazy, and I was able to really focus and chew, you know chew on her. You know, it's really kind of funny about what you're saying. That's kind of what we're doing. That's kind of what I'm not going to speak totally for you, Briggs, but I know you sure. listen to Discover Weekly uh-huh. too. Like, actually, my song list for the week is usually uh. the Discover Weekly. Right. I, I, don't, I don't mean no, to. No, it's so... a similar thing for sure. Yeah. And then if you like something, maybe you break off and listen Absolutely. to the record. Yeah. But I will, I will do that. And I know that every Monday I'm going to have a different set of right. shit to listen to. And I usually like a good two thirds of it. I mean, Karen does a good job picking it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I travel. I like Karen. I travel a lot, and I find myself driving easily four hours plus. And yeah, it's podcast. I don't time. even no, I don't even turn on anything. It's yeah, right. it's, it's totally silent. Yeah. The only time there's ever anything on the radio is when I have somebody with me, so they can have yeah. that. Yeah, the radio is not going to solve my problem. I can't no. stop and listen to commercials. So no, I, I can't. But anything that is produced and on a disc um makes me feel like i'm a real prisoner like after about five minutes or so it doesn't matter how good it is i'm like oh no yeah i understand what you're saying i don't i I, yeah there's a little connection to cds there which is not really my my thing i want the freedom to listen to to things as they come but on the other hand if i fall into something i will listen to only that for a long time (laughs) now i'm not i'm not as bad as like one song i'll listen but but yeah if i fall into a record i'll just listen to that record over and over over. last time that happened to me was the first time i heard the bends by um by radiohead i had to pull my car over yeah 
Yeah. That's a crazy That's, record. Yeah. yeah. It, crazy record. I listened to the whole side A on the side of Route 108 yeah. in Durham. I'm like, I will be pulling over now. Yeah, right? <laughs> just want to focus. I think that, to. yeah, we're kind of, I'm kind of skirting around that question, but I'll just dive right in on it. Um, all this stuff, all the things you're playing, all the things you're talking about, all these things, the way you're dealing with touring, the way you're, you're concentrating on working, the work ethic, constantly writing, constantly putting something together, not worrying necessarily about how this is going to land, not even worried about where this is taking you, but this is just what you do all the time. Where where is this focus coming from, man? Do you think this is just part of your nature? I just think it's, it's the focus. Yeah, I think it's the way that I just kind of kind of organize myself. Just naturally goes in that way. I remember um, I was talking. I was in finance at Hewlett Packard, and um, someone said to me, "You know, how can you be a musician and be an accountant at the same time?" and I couldn't really answer that, but I kind of thought about it for a while. And then I, I realized that it was because music is just like grouping like items. Right. And that's what accounting is. And then when you kind of extrapolate that to the rest of the world, that's all any job is, is just grouping like items. So I see myself more as a systems analyst, more like a, someone that puts a, a computer together. Right, so I didn't invent the G string or the G chord, but right. I can take a G, a C, and a D and make them work in a system. Yeah. So that's that how that's how I see myself. So I'm 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 more focused as as systems analysis. But the but yes, I mean I'm validating what you're saying, but the whole concept of creativity is based around originality. You can't focus on originality. You can't go. I just need to make this more original. Like, yeah. I'm working really hard to make it more original. That's yeah. not how it works. I don't know. I just seem to think of something different every day. No, I'm with you, which is sort of not a system, is what I'm getting at. Yeah. It's like, yeah, so maybe that's it. Maybe it's there, and then you come in and, and you're grabbing it, and then let's let's organize it. Let's 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 filter it together. Let's get these things to line up. Do you yeah. have any uh, uh, any any completely non-musical hobbies? Do you just do, do anything else take up your time? Um, hmm. I'm not, I see mo- myself most, most primarily ask answer no. Yeah. Most, most <laughs> artists say no. This is what I do, and which is great. This is the hobby. Right? Well, on a hobby level, I don't, I don't know. I don't really see that. Um, I don't look at music as a hobby. No, I understand. Um, right. But in terms of my focus and my identification, I ID myself as a as a dad, and then probably secondly, ID myself as a lover. Right, and then um, I think probably third, I deem myself as a musician. Right, so really? kind of that way, yeah. Hmm. So I don't want to go down a rabbit hole here. Um, some of you guys know I come from a background of martial arts, and in martial arts, there's a thing called the tokuiwaza, which is it's the thing that you do best. And it's interesting talking to martial artists about their tokuiwaza because. The majority, vast majority of people that I talk to about it say that their tokuiwaza is not what they want it to be. Mm. To make a joke out of it, you know, you think of like Karate Kid, like Crane Kick or some, you know, dramatic thing. Most martial artists want to do some really cool thing as their thing. This is what I want to become the master of. But you don't get to choose your tokuiwaza. You just... Are. Yeah, a big, um, yeah, a big nod over here. Yeah, I'm watching you nod. Yeah, you don't get to choose that. 
and the best martial artists know what their tokuiwaza is. And when the shit happens, when the chips come down, when the rubber hits the road, <laughs> you reach for the tokuiwaza <laughs> and this, you end it right there. This is the only thing no I'm good at. No matter how much you don't like it, you wish you could do the cool thing, maybe another time. Yeah, this is the only thing that I'm good at. That's what I'm getting at. Yeah. I but it's not, it's not even that. It's that you are good at it. Like, that's the cool part about it. <laughs> it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't even matter if it's the only that you already are. You don't get to choose that. Did you know this was going to happen? No. No, I've, I think I've really, and I've always really, really fought it. I've never, never wanted to really uh, make it a big deal. Um, I'm serious about that. I know. You put it number three. Right? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> I'm kind of stuck. Ah, no, but it's not number three. But <laughs> I mean, it, it's not. It, they're all the same. They're all awesome. Yeah. That you don't have to rank them, you know. But yeah, I'm going to listen to uh, when you. Uh, I'm, I, again, I'm sorry. I don't mean to expose you. You're a tough guy. You've been doing this for a long time. I don't mean to expose you, but these are important things. Like, again, you listen, you warm up. And you go uh, to some of the notes and you got the chords and. Uh, you know, you're not you're not going up and, and practicing the, the, the particular high jump over and over and over again. You're just getting <laughs> the little pieces together. Da, 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 da. Yes. But goddamn, I hit the fucking record button and you just go. Right. <laughs> boom. Yeah. Right. I've, That's what that is. This is the thing. You don't get to choose it. It kind of already is. I've faced a lot of red lights. Yeah. No, I understand. I yeah. totally get it. You can hear it in the way you talk. Yeah. Yeah. But it sounds like you got some green lights in there too, man. <laughs> I don't mean to I don't mean to even compare the two things, but you did. So you're making you're making records now, right? Yeah, I'm I I I've, I really feel like I'm doing the best work I've ever done. I Is it going to be Father Nature? Yeah, I'm I'm doing two Father Nature five packs, five packs. and then I'm doing something else we're creating lots of new music that I would really love to share uh, with my partner, George. So George and I are putting together uh, some stuff and that that's really that stuff will, I guess, be coming out uh, this fall or maybe 2019. So band stuff. Duo yeah. Stuff? Yeah. Full band stuff. Uh, we just started playing as a band again and uh, it's loud, but geez, does it feel good? <laughs> oh, boy. Um, are are you ready to say who else is in the band right now? Uh, no, I'm still trying to figure all that everybody's out. Everybody's coming together. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But it's Father right Nature. No, uh, not going to name it uh, Father Nature. Okay, so there, I get you. So there are there is a Father Nature project. Yes, but you're talking about something else. Yes, very much so. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I've what, got. Do you have, do you have, does a, name have a band name? <laughs> 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 I've got lots of records written. Like I've written a so couple. No, just go ahead. <laughs> Not yet. I've written a Fair couple enough. of uh, of weed records. Like if Timmy, um, you know, ever wants to do another weed record, I've I've have what I think is a Cracker Jack record lined up. Super smile, dude. So, so if he ever wants to do that, I could do that. But I've got all kinds of things like that. So I could really kind of make any record that I sort of wanted to right now. Yeah, but that I mean, now's the time, man. Well, for me, I've right. been putting myself through this kind of self-imposed 
course of trying to figure out how to record myself and to pull the stuff together because someone like me needs to be recording myself all the time. Yeah. So that's what I've been doing, and I'm now cresting over that sort of um, understanding hump. You know, I'm getting yeah. over that uh, hump where things are starting to go faster for me now. I know what I'm doing. Yeah. So I'm starting to record a lot. I think that's a lot. I mean, from the recording side, I think that's a lot like like performing in music. I think you, you know, five years later, you feel way better about it because you've done it a thousand times and it feels good and da-da-da. And you look down and you're like, yeah, it's kind of like what I was doing in the beginning too. Like, I, I'm the wrong guy to talk to. I, I, I am not a high fidelity fan at yeah. all. I'm not. I just like, I like it. I like the moment. If it's high fidelity in the moment, great. If it's not, great. I don't care. I'm about the moment. Yeah, yeah it's about the moment. I mean, listen to some of my absolute favorite records of all time. You listen to, you know, Wrecking Ball by, uh, you know, um, Lou Harris. And uh, you listen to the production on that. And, and to be honest, it's, it's, it's flabby as hell. She sounds skinny, all that stuff. I love every bit of it. Mm-hmm. She, all the rules are broken. Yeah. It's so much bleed. Listen, REM, the, it's all bleed. Oh, yeah. Right? Whatever. And I, I know that right in this area for 20 years, there are people who come in and, and play in the studios, and if it sounded anything like an REM record, they'd be like, this sucks. It sounds like a local record. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, no, it sounds like an REM record. You just need to get it mastered well, and you're done. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a big advocate uh, for not... Uh, I, I actually... I'm, I'm embarrassed to say I also teach recording. So, I, I mean, I can, I can, we can do this. I can teach you how to make it sound perfect. You can sound like, you know, Maroon 5 if you want, but, <laughs> but I don't really like those kind of records. So it's up to you, you know. Yeah. Uh, there's a place for high fidelity, there's a place for not. But if the high fidelity is only there for the grace of itself, I say waste of time. I love the idea that people record at home. I don't love the idea that people record without a sense of objectivity coming in from someone else. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like you bring it around and you you knock it through the other guys. And obviously, of all the people, I'm not I'm not coming on you. I mean, you got the experience. <laughs> I'm just some guy. But you know when, what I'm saying. Like there are times where having a producer go, "Hey, knucklehead." Sing it one more time and stop thinking about that shit and just put your heart out and you're going to be fine. That's what you get from, you know, through through experience. Right. I, I've been in so many studio sessions where, you know, the finger has been in our face or I remember I... I went into New Alliance uh, in Boston. One of the classic Boston recording studios. Yes. Um, and we Mud were Rock. there uh, so, solely. Godsmack were there the week before us. Of course. So they were moving. All their shit was on one side, and we were moving all of our shit in. And I got my amps in place, and the executive producer comes in, flips my head over, takes out, takes out one of my power tubes, and says, you'll be going at 15 watts. And I'm like, oh no, that's not what I do. And he's like, oh, that's definitely what you do. And and um, it was just that's not a good experience. There was just no. It was not easy for me to deal with. Of but not. but God that, damn, uh, you should have heard the demos that came out of that. <laughs> well, wait. holy crap. Yes, yes. I'd like to argue that there are there are positive situations that can also result in great demos with you playing at 15 watts that are not run in such a military and bullying fashion. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to believe that your best performance is on the other side of you wanting that 15 watt sound. Yeah. I was just trying to Not, do what I was told. No, I, I, that's exactly what I mean. Yeah. Well, the guy needs to read the art of war. 
Read the Art of War, it, man. But the best it, way to win is to be invited in as king. But but lots of that kind of stuff happened over over the years. Where no, you know, just don't please don't do it like that. And this is why, you know. No, that's right. You know, go small now. Let me let the mastering engineer get it big. And you know, I've been lucky enough to have records mastered by Jonathan. Yeah. You know, Wiener, and you know, have him you know whisper in my ear and me take notes and how lucky is that that yeah well i mean it's just you're 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 the perfect example of it of experience and practice most people don't practice getting their uh their recordings mastered (laughs) so they don't make recordings that are set up to become mastered and so obviously those people who get the recordings mastered all the time which are engineers in studios like new alliance are like yeah you're gonna you gotta lighten up a little bit and let it let it all come together in the end, you know. You dude, know? dude, in that uh, no, it wasn't in that session. This was over at Woolly Mammoth with Dave. You are just killing me. No, no, no. Uh, uh, the first These are session, all the best places. The first session at Woolly Mammoth, Dave was awesome. He introduces everybody, and he says he's that guy and he's that guy, and then he points at 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 this other guy standing in the corner, and he said his name is Beer Run. And uh, I never heard anybody introduced as beer run before, and I don't want to call anybody beer run. And I'm no. like, and I'm like, oh no, no, you know, you know, what's your name? But I guess he was the low guy on the totem pole from Berkeley, you know, in there um, paying his dues, and he was only known as beer run. <laughs> and he made a beer run. <laughs> I know. And the cool part of that story is that kid ended up being like, you know, one of the greatest engineers of all time. Yeah, I just to spite the guy who used to call him fucking beer. Run. I couldn't call him beer. Run. Of course never... you can't. There's no reason to do that. But if he was you're intro- already the intern. He was you in- also have to have a shitty name. <laughs> it was funny. I'll never forget that. That's beer run. Yeah, what? That's harsh. That's the way it is. No, nah, I know. Or the way it was. I, I love the idea that people record at home. I know we're we're going long, and I'm asking a million questions, but I, I really need to know one more thing. All right, sure. so let's just do this little string, okay? Because you're one of these sources that we can that we can ask, right? Obviously, you can talk about equipment and gear all day, right? All the way back, first real. Obviously, you played your brother's acoustic guitar, but what's your first real guitar? I bought it from. Uh, it was a Les Paul uh, Black Beauty. 70 wow i got not it not effing around i got it from rod wells wow. when uh guitar warehouse was over on islington street yep. um and um yeah i had to take out a loan it took me 24 months to pay it back yeah, I and i it was also weighed like 30 pounds yeah <laughs> i learned how to rock on that one and i played it with a little skinny leather strap and everybody oh, no. would always be like, how the fuck can you do that? Oh, no, <laughs> I carried that thing around dead, yeah. for a long, long time and beat on that it? thing. No, um, I moved into another Black Beauty in 98. And this one was a collector's uh, item that had the frets all sanded down. Yeah, right, right. So it was a v- virtually a fretless uh, Black Beauty. Yeah. And that was another 70 all mahogany. And I made uh, two records with that, and those were big sounds. Have an interesting sound if the, big. the frets were really low. Oh my god! Yeah, because you're not getting a lot of snap out of you them. You can't explain. It's very dark, mm. super dark, and um, super kind of spongy. Yeah, no, I get it. 
And it was really, really, yeah, was, really, really cool. It was probably demanding. You had to really get the chords. Oh, this is what happened. There came a point in my life where I, I couldn't hide uh, anymore. Mm. You know, when I, when I first made a jump from, I was using three uh, 1960s uh, silver tones. And then um, I went to a Matthew Sweet show and he had a pile of matchless amps, literally a pile of them. There was like Obviously seven of you them. you needed to do that now. Yeah, there was like seven of them in a, in a pyramid with beers all over them and stuff. And um, I was like, wow, he sounds amazing. So, yeah. I, so I started some matchless amps. And then once I made that change to boutique amps, I was in deep shit. Yeah. I was in deep <laughs> shit because yeah, there was no box. Yeah. Yeah. nowhere to hide anymore. And it took me a solid nine months or so until i really started making sure i wasn't taking holidays on the fretboard and yeah you really had to get the chords everything mattered at that point first recording rig my first recording rig definitely uh a sony d50 1993 was a professional walkman the kind of walkman with the strap yeah the big fat walkman i still have it i recorded over 2000 of uh you know, of either my songs or other people's what is songs. What storage medium for 2,000 songs? Uh, cassettes. Yeah. I've got boxes of cassettes. I took that every place I went, had the little stereo mic, you know, on the end of a yeah, no, stereo I, cable. I, I, I'm sorry. I, of course, I'm, I think I know, but no one else knows. <laughs> uh, you're, you're describing that the microphone for the, for the Sony wasn't connected directly. Well, it was connected to the Sony, but it's actually kind of remote almost. You could hold it out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Those are things that people would be taping at concerts with and all that kind sure. of stuff. Sure, yeah. yeah. But f- for me, I would be in, you know, four or five jams a week, so I was always recording those uh, jams and uh, play them back at at night and stuff. Like after I saw saw you guys gig on Saturday, I got in... Yeah, I know, you recorded it. Yeah. yeah, and I got in my car expecting to hit play, and my wife was like, oh, yeah, you're going to listen to the show now, and... Um, I think my son had taken my stereo cable out, but I yeah. totally was planning on playing that on the way home. And I, I, get it, yeah. I would have sat in my driveway until your set was over. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, when you say, let's, let's call it out what it, what it is. It wasn't my set. It was, uh, John McCormick, oh. uh, who is, uh, another local legend. Wow. Like I just, string of local legends around here a week, uh, <laughs> or, or month. Every at, time uh, at the muse. he yeah. is so precise Killer. and he's such an accurate player. But he's has he's so natural though he's precise and natural. It's funny he said, "Hey man, do you want to do you want to play the gig?" I haven't played on his record. He has a, a record. I won't. I won't. I don't want to spoil his uh, situation because he actually has. They uh, recorded very very recently on the podcast, um, and then we have a podcast that we're waiting on. He he's going to do it for his release. Um, so I'll let him tell the story on the podcast rather than do it now. But he did a show uh, with his band. His new band is called Paintbox. And uh, there was a interesting show, but the funny the funny part of the story is he goes, "Hey man, do you want to?" Uh, I didn't play on the record. He goes, "Do you want to play the gig?" I'm like, "Well, yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of somebody else's gig, right?" I mean, they played it. He goes, "No, no, you can't. He can't do it. Plus, you know, a bunch of people played." He goes, "Do you want to do it?" And I'm like, I, "What's fucking wrong with you? Yes. Why are you asking me? <laughs> of course I, I do. do. Yes." He's like, "Well, you know, I want to make sure you have the night off." I'm like, "I'm I'm not looking at him and saying, but." You're John McCormick. Like, exactly. yes. <laughs> exactly. Les, what do you think guys like me want to do? Like, we used to, um, with you? <laughs> when, when John had Starch, the band Starch. He was in sure. so yeah. we used to awesome band. We used to refer to going to see Starch as the Starch Clinic. 
So we just go and shut the hell up yeah. and sit there and watch Drew Wyman on bass and John on guitar and think, you know, we're really not qualified. No, because <laughs> no, they no. well, they were so special. No, and, the list of bands that that dude has been in through Fly Spinach, Fly Museum of Science, yeah. right? I mean, it just goes on and on and on. But um, speaking of which, uh, he didn't have it at the show the other night. Um, you don't want to see his new amp. Oh. I'm curious now. <laughs> All right, I'm going to seek it out now. You really don't want to see it. Mm, okay. I kind of want to see it. Brig knows what it is. I told you about it, and you remember it. Yeah. Mm. yeah. But we'll let you go and find it. All right. Put it this way. Um, Mr. McCormick is also a, a amp collector. Yeah. yeah. And I went to a rehearsal in his basement, and they're just like, you're like, oh, my God. Like, wow. Like, like all eras covered, right? But he's playing through this. I won't. I won't wreck it for you. You can find okay. out. All right. I can't wait. We we'll just make out. a little game out of it. But uh, yeah. Yeah, he's playing through this shitty little amp. I actually played a, a gig with a different thing. It's this fun cover band called The Wheel of Awesome, and uh, I sit in. It's Chris Sink's gig. But uh, when when he can't make it, I go and sit in. And he's playing through this little amp. I'm like, what the fuck is that amp? And he's like, I know. He goes, I can't believe it. It's tiny. But you go to pick it up and it weighs like, it's like it's filled with bricks or something. I'm like, this amp is fucked. Awesome. He's like, that's all I'm playing through now. He's this little amp and it just blows the room out. I'm like, uh, everybody who is into like, well, you are into these amps and stuff is not going to be like, God damn it. Too funny. Get, save up my money again. All right. All right. I'm looking forward to it's it. It's fucked up. I don't know if it's really your sound, but anyway, it's it's you know John. He, he'll sure he'll, he always gets a, a crazy sound, but yeah, it was a fun gig. But I hear what you're saying, and it's funny. You hear comedians talk about it all the time. Great comedians will do the set, then they'll listen to the set on the way home. They'll review it. They'll listen to someone else's set on the way home. They'll review it. They're constantly trying to hear what that what the good is and where the better could be. You know, yeah. and. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's awesome to hear that that you've been doing this for forever. You don't have to do that anymore. But one of the reasons why you're so awesome is because you still do it, right? <laughs> like, who doesn't need to practice their fucking jump shot? Yeah. Kobe, right? Who's practicing their jump shot right now? Sure. Kobe. That's how he got to be fucking Kobe. Because sure. he practiced it when he didn't have to practice it, you know? Yep. Yeah. What do you think compels you to do that? Like, just on the way home. I... I don't really know other than I'm very curious about what's in Johnny's head. Yeah. Yeah. He's a monster. Uh, first multi-track recording rig across his fingers. First, yeah, definitely it was the, was the four track, the, uh, the, not Ampex. What am Tascam. I Tascam. I can't believe the I said. Tascam. I can't believe I said Ampex. You mean the Porta Studio? 424 yeah. Porta Studio. Yeah, the gray one, right? Yeah. yeah. That was my exactly guess. Exactly right. Yeah. Trying Who to would have thought all these years of doing the oh, the 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 the, uh, the podcast and like our favorite things are which you know, four track? Yeah, did what's, you your, have? what's your four track? <laughs> and and what's your first band name? Right. Right. <laughs> I haven't gone down the road because I'm I'm kind of trying to leave you out of that stuff. But I had imagined that you well you had basically one band for a very long time. What was your very first band name? Uh very first band name. That was it. Father Nature. <sighs> we just named, awesome. Just named ourselves and went for it. Yeah. Still going for it. Right Fifteen years later, <laughs> <laughs> huh? Huh? Oh, that's great. This is unbelievable, man. I mean, I could, I could 
ask you questions all night. Right. I'm sorry. I kind of fangirled out today. <laughs> no, really. Uh, no, I was looking at Briggs going, I'm sorry, man. Like, I'm just owning this one. Oh, that's you know. good. The pleasure really um, is all mine. And I, I'm not always super comfortable talking about myself. So um, thanks, for, about thanks for asking questions no, about no, me. because no, no, I, no, no. I, I'm not listening to that. I'm not hearing that. Right. I'm hearing you love what you do. And yeah. all you're talking about is what you do. And you have 300 fucking songs sitting in the can and I don't get to fucking hear them. <laughs> I could throw a lot of shit at you, but I don't want to drive me, I drive you nuts. You know what I'll do? I'll pull, I'll pull together some of the things that are really special to me and I'll definitely share those with you. And cool. Maybe you should share them with everyone, but just, just right? what I'm saying. <laughs> but uh, no, that's fucking great. Do you have uh, one you can play us out on? Yeah. Before you do that, or while you're getting ready for that, I mean, part of this is 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 keeping that forward momentum. Right now, I'm looking forward to hearing something from Father, Na- Father Nature with the five pack, right? Yes. Father Nature five yep. pack. Yep. Some of what I think is my best stuff. Touch with you? Do you do you do you maintain some sort of social media presence or something like that? No, no. Uh, I've got basically like like. 50 people that I can kind of call and say, Hey, I'm doing a show and they can all bring some friends and you know, that kind of thing. That's awesome. <laughs> so I don't know. So, so, but at this point it's father nature. Do you have any other formats that you're playing? Do you have any gigs coming up? No. Well, no, I don't. Um, I, I wanted to get through sort of a, a process that I'm in right now and is really gun shy about booking gigs for the summer and it's sure. not that i don't want a gig during the summer but i want to i was i just didn't really want to want to book stuff because i have so many irons in the fire right. and i felt like i'd have more fun if i just focused on just wait for rock and roll season you know september october november i'm just owning new swords new sword <laughs> rock and roll. that's not right what are you doing for rock and roll season i'm getting ready you yeah. training oh yeah, yeah. we're like I'll, we're I'll like what are you know 14 <laughs> weeks out yeah you're dieting yep we're running in the morning it's gonna be good <laughs> well we used to actually really do that so oh i know i know that's that's yeah so that's kind of just kind of doing that and um i'm, I'm gonna do some father nature shows and some uh some leo ganley shows that's fucking great fantastic yeah. What are you gonna play us to get us out of here? Well, I got a song um, called "You Gotta Believe," and it's another new one. Um, uh, let me see if I can do it here. Hang on, I'm gonna put you over onto your set your mic up again. Wanna say one, two in the mic, please? I'm here, and you gotta believe. All right, thank you very much, Leo. Thank you. Thanks. You gotta believe. Thank you, Briggs. Sometimes you gotta believe On things that you can't ever see Sometimes you'll get on your knees And you'll beg for that thing that you need But Sunday just comes once a week Yes, it does. You 
you just gotta believe Maybe we are Adam and Eve And stuck on an unlucky They might look really bleak But you believe what you want to perceive But don't think that I'm that naive No, no, no You just gotta believe Shut us off. What's that? Did you did you shut us off? Because I have a song I want to play. All right, so I wrote this song for my dog. It's called "The Daisy Love." I had to put her down last year. lucky no more Daisy love You're not You're not You're not lucky no more Daisy love You're not so lucky no more Daisy love You moved on and I drove you there Now I'm alone And it's not fair The summer days Are shorter and soon to be gone 
A goodbye love, no starting over A daisy love, you're not so lucky no more A daisy love, you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not lucky no more A daisy love, you're not so lucky no more Daisy love, you're not The shadows are cold It only come from the sun Now there is darkness Deep inside I'm so mad I don't want to give up there ain't no, it just keeps spinning A daisy love, you're not so lucky no more A daisy love, you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not lucky no more Daisy love, you're not so lucky no more
Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Muse Podcast. Briggs and I are hitting the ground running here with this season. Local legend Leo Ganley came in and talked to us in the barn. Leo has been part, ever since the 80s, of the Seacoast music scene. Uh, his first band, Father Nature, made it on the national stage. Uh, he's been part of the Olives, Chaining Texas, and of course around here we know Weed Incorporated, which became Lemon Fresh Kids. He can tell you that story. Leo is a songwriting machine. He brought in four songs, and uh, he actually played another one at the end, sort of out of the blue, about his dog. So pretty sure you'll dig that. As always, thank you to everyone for all of the support worldwide for this little podcast. We really appreciate it. If you want to get in touch with us, themusepodcast.com. Hit the contact link, and that information will go directly to us. You can always get in touch with us on social media as well. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. It's The Muse Podcast. Thank you very much. Big season coming up. We're on track to do 26 episodes. So if you have an idea of someone who'd like to be on, someone you think might be good to put on The Muse Podcast, like I said, head over to themusepodcast.com, hit the contact button, and give us your ideas. All right, here we go, people. Leo Ganley. 